0: No, oh, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Throws across his body and he got it. Looking away, can't around third. Throw from the outfield is up the line. Inside the park home run. He gone, Whoa! And he makes the catch up against the wall, and he's gonna watch it fly. Strike three called. He got him on strikes.
1: Welcome to our 17th episode of the Voice of the Turtle, a podcast feature of the Bless You Boys website. We are SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog, and you can find us online at blessyouboys.com, on Twitter at blessyouboys, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash byb.tigers. I'm your host, Hook Slide, along with my partner, as usual, Rob Rojacki. Rob, the winter meetings are in full swing. Did you remember to declare free agency before they started? No, I didn't, and now the Diamondbacks are trying to trade for me, too. Well, that's a good thing, I guess. Do you, what, do you want to go live in Arizona? Yeah, it's warm there. It's true. It's warmer than it is here. I'm not gonna, it is a weird weather situation, and here we are, you know, less than a minute into the podcast, and we're talking about the weather, but this is what happens when you get older. And, yeah, it's we're into December, and I haven't seen, like, more than a sneezing's worth of snow in, like, a month, so it's... Global warming is a real thing, and uh, yeah. Anyway, we've got a lot on tap for this episode. This could easily end up being a two-hour show. The Tigers are just about out of payroll to spend, but they can still use some roster tweaks. We've had a bunch of new additions to the roster in the past week that we got to talk about. We want to take a look at what the rest of the AL Central is up to. We're going to get to our usual stack of listener questions, and then Charlie Gibo from AZ Snake Pit is going to stop by and give us the inside dope on the Diamondbacks and the Zach Grinke signing. But before we do that, let's round the bases and answer the question, why would the Tigers sign a pitcher who isn't good at pitching? We'll talk about that after the break.
0: 6 210-pound righty delivers as a fly ball left field. This one's deep. This one's got a chance, and this ball is gone to run. Ian Kinsler delivers a walkoff. Number six for Ian. He rounds third, heads into the mob scene at home, and the Tigers take the series from AC. A walkoff home run from Kinsler, 8 to 6.
1: And here we are, ready to kick off this show with our rounding the bases segment. The question is, why would the Tigers sign a pitcher who isn't even good at pitching? And there, I'm referring to a little bit of an inside joke on uh, on Twitter. Uh, Bless you, boys. Staff writer Phil Coke's brain, or otherwise known as Comerica Eric, on Twitter, had posted a, kind of a joke poll asking if Mike Pelfrey, who the Tigers just signed for two years and sixteen million dollars, the poll question was, is Mike Pelfrey a good pitcher? Yes or no? And the poll came out overwhelmingly no. To which he responded, Huh, why would the Tigers sign a pitcher who isn't good at pitching? I, I thought it was a legitimate question. <laughs> so, Rob, that was, uh, it was an interesting signing, made all the more interesting by the swift and furious uh, backlash in the Tiger fan base. I, the responses, I think, at best were, Neh. And at worst, what in the world are they doing? This guy's awful. Take us inside the numbers.
2: Well, I think a lot of people were upset at first, just because of how poorly Pelfrey pitched for the twins for a lot of last year um his e r a was above four even his you know even his peripherals weren't very weren't very good um he did have a nice ground ball rate, which is helpful but uh yeah no. once they once they announced that there was a second year tacked on that deal, I can't say that I was too pleased myself um it's it's definitely kind of another one of those trust the process moves uh, alaavila I rem- uh, I believe he said that this wasn't necessarily like an analytic scouting it was my uh, analytic signing it was more of a scouting one um, so That's still still trying to kind of wrap my wrap my hand around it uh, to be sure but um, you know kind of taking it at a face value Pelfrey's a guy that you know he logged 160 innings last year uh, made 30 starts. Which you know is more than you can say for a lot of this Tigers roster last year, um, so you know it's kind of a, a nice little back end piece and adds some depth to add some depth to the rotation, uh, and it kind of takes away any chance we'll see uh, any
1: of the any of the young kids starting early on in the season. I swear I, I must be the like one of six people, if that many, that's actually kind of you know excited about the Pelfrey signing, and a lot of that had to do with what you had referenced earlier, just the ground ball. Uh, style of pitcher that he is Um, yeah when I first heard the signing and I went to baseball reference and looked and the the surface level stats the baseball card stats are ugly they just are everything from you know win-loss record to ERA to whip to you know you pick it it's uh, not a lot of strikeouts uh, a low enough walk rate but just nothing really there to be excited about and some things to raise eyebrows and be concerned about until you look at the fact that he profiles almost exactly like Rick Porcello. And then again, maybe that's why I'm one of five people that liked Pelfrey, because I know in our fan base, not everyone was a big fan of Rick Porcello either. See, Porcello, I think, was hurt more by expectations than anything.
2: Uh, You know, being a first-round pick uh, and, I believe, kind of a top, what, top 20? No, he was towards the end of the first round uh, when he was drafted. Um, but either way, a lot of people were expecting him to develop into this to this ace, even like a number two starter, and he was kind of just settling in as this you know decent little mid-rotation piece, um, albeit someone whose peripherals kind of uh, outperformed his actual ERA, which I think ticked off a lot of our older and less Sabre-inclined readers and, and commenters. Um, but I think that Porcello's strikeout numbers still were a shade above what Pelfrey has done over the last couple of years. And I think that that's kind of why I'm a little bit leery of it. Um, you know, Pelfrey struck out 12% of the batters he faced last year uh you know a great starting pitcher is going to probably be close to you know more than double that um some of the elite starting pitchers in the league are even going to be able to triple that Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's it's a very very low strikeout rate to be sure and when you're letting that many balls in play uh you know even if you have a great defense behind him there's still gonna get be a lot of things that go through and a lot of guys on base
1: Yeah, but less than what the numbers are are showing right now, and I think that's why I'm kind of excited about it. And When I say I'm excited about this guy, I don't mean you got to adjust the frame of reference, adjust the expectations. I'm not saying he's going to be Max Scherzer, the second coming of Justin Verlander. I'm saying for a number four pitcher, I'm really excited to see the amount of improvement that he's capable of just in having good defense behind him, and we've delved into some of the, the, you know, lower level, deeper level statistics around this and the fact that his uh, batting average on balls in play is pretty high. And when I started digging into the Brooks baseball data just on the pitch selection uh, that he used in, in Minnesota, throwing that sinker a lot, that that pitch, and I think it was his slider, sinker and splitter, maybe. Anyway, there was two pitches in particular that resulted in a high, high ground ball rate, but they also happened to carry the highest uh, batting average on balls in play. And when you look back at the you know, the up-the-middle defense that he had in Minnesota, it kind of makes sense. He's putting all these ground balls out there that are going for base hits, and that just impacts everything from the the uh, the you know the, the whip numbers. Uh, it's certainly going to impact the number of pitches he's got to throw to get out of an inning, therefore impacting his ability to go deeper into games. Uh, you know, so when you, you think of him coming to Detroit, having Ian Kinsler and Jose Iglesias behind him, I, again, I'm not saying he's going to turn into Max Scherzer. But I think we're gonna see a huge uptick in what he's capable of. I think you're gonna see the innings go up. I think you're gonna see the ERA and whip and everything else go down. I'm just I'm excited to see the potential kind of unfold.
2: Well, another thing that I've kind of been encouraged about with Pelfrey so far, uh so far looking at the numbers, is that he's done a good job of limiting home runs. Uh throughout his career, he's only allowed zero point seven home runs per nine innings. Um, and major league average is closer to .9 or 1.0. Um, and last year he had one of the lowest home run rates in the league. Uh, this is a guy that generates a lot of ground balls, doesn't allow many fly balls. Um, so even if you know he is allowing runners on base, you know guys are sneaking ground balls through the infield. Teams are going to have to string together two or three hits to beat the guy. Uh, you know it's not like the Anibal Sanchez dinger fest. That right. we saw last season, which which is an encouraging sign. Uh, you'd like to you'd hope that he would be able to strand a few more base runners. Uh, his strand rate last year was only about seventy percent. Uh, you know, good starting pitchers I think are a little bit higher than that as well. Um, and kind of going back to what you had said about the balls in play. Um, you know, on ground balls, I believe his BABIP was about two eighty last year, and major league averages in like the two forty to two fifty range. So even on you know grounders, which he's generating a lot of, he did get a bit. I don't, you know, maybe he was unlucky. Maybe he just allowed a little bit more hard contact than you know some other pitchers. Um, I think the pieces are there for him to be a little bit better. I just, you know, like I said, I, I kind of go back to that second year and you know kind of right. wonder what exactly what exactly the Tigers were doing with that. Yeah, it's
1: it's the length of the contract that you're, that I think you're more concerned about, and I I don't know if that really impacts my feeling on it one way or the other. You talk about the ground ball, uh, rather the batting average on balls in play being around two eighty. And, you know, when I looked at the pitch selection and seeing that like that sinker and splitter were generating BABIPs of well into the 300s, 333, 40, 350 on some of those years. Uh, and just the fact that uh, it was uh, our Bless You Boys commenter, uh, Glenn Wilson, that had popped in and, and mentioned, too, that he, Pelfrey had given up the third most ground balls up the middle. Uh, last year in, or last season in 2015, which is another kind of an indicator to me that uh, you know that's that's where our best defense is. I'm not worried about ground balls to third base that Nick Castellanos can't get to, or that Miguel Cabrera is going to have to lumber after. If he's generating most of his ground balls up the middle, and we are talking about a ground ball rate of almost half, uh, and then I, I see success in his future. I mean, again, limited. Let's set the expectations, but it's going to get better. Uh, you mentioned the home run rate. I'm pleased with the walk rate. We're talking about, what was it, like around three walks per nine innings? So He was know. lower than that last year.
2: He was only about two and a half last year. That's right. Um, I would like to see him there or even lower. Right. Uh, I think three walks per nine innings for a guy that doesn't strike out that many batters, that's a little high. You'd like to see, you know, hopefully he could maybe even limit that to under two or around
1: two. That would be, I think that would be more ideal than anything. I just, I guess, I like the fact that if runners are getting on base, it's not because he's walking them there; it's because of balls in play, and then you can have a chance to influence that with maybe a little bit better uh, defense behind him. But now we're talking about the stats; we're talking about getting into some of the advanced metrics and uh, this kind of thing. I was surprised to hear El Avila come out and say this was not an analytics signing; this was a scouting signing, and I think he elaborated on that to to say um, Palfrey had a bounce back season in twenty fifteen or, or or they thought that he could have another bounce back season in 2016. And I kind of went really that this wasn't, this was not analytically based. That's odd to me.
2: Um, yeah, it is a little bit odd, but at the same time, I, I kind of like that They're, you know, pooling their ideas from all these different sources. Uh, you know, if their scouts are seeing something that, you know, maybe they think Pelfrey is going to be a little bit better in some Avenue with some sort of tweak to, you know, to his delivery or, or whatever. I think that's great. Um, You know, for years, I think a lot of people have kind of uh, applauded some of the Tigers' major league scouts, just based on the success that Dave Dombrowski has had with some of his trades. So, if a lot of those people are still around, you know, hopefully that kind of translates into maybe kind of another situation of them finding a diamond in the rough. Uh, You know, the Tigers had some decent success with free agent signings when when Dombrowski was here. It was always kind of when he offered contract extensions to those guys that he ran into a little bit of trouble. Uh, So we'll see. We'll see exactly, you know, kind of how Pelfrey shoots out of the gate next year. But again, I also kind of bounce back to um, the, just the, the depth that he adds to the rotation, you know, making sure that he's the one starting, you know, if he gives you 25, 30 starts instead of someone like, you know, Kyle Lobstein or Buck Farmer, I think that's
1: huge. That is a huge increase in advantage just on that alone. And I, I like I said, I think he'll, he'll perform admirably. The numbers match up well enough with Rick Porcello that I kind of expect that to be sort of what you get i I think he'll be very efficient if the defense can back him up uh we talked about this last week maybe even the week before whether the tigers would go with more of a ground ball heavy pitcher or the more fly ball heavy pitcher and you talked about chris young being an option i talked about doug fister being an option uh do you like pelfrey as a choice over either of those guys
2: i like pelfrey over fister um, as surprising as that seems, uh, I was taking a look at their numbers over the last two seasons, and Pelfrey spent some time on the disabled list in 2014, or spent a lot of time on the disabled list in 2014. Uh, he only threw 23 innings last year, or that year. Uh, and then Doug Fister has spent some time on the DL in each of the past two seasons. But if you put them side-to-side, side-by-side, and take a look at just their numbers from those last two years, they actually come out pretty similar. Uh, you know, Fister losing some velocity in his fastball, has turned into you know less effective pitcher than he was in Detroit. His strikeout rate has kind of regressed to pre-Detroit levels, where he's striking out like five, five and a half batters per nine innings. Uh, so this is really just isn't the guy that we remember when he was pitching in Detroit. And if you th- you know I I will not be surprised to see Fister get uh, you know maybe closer to ten million per season, probably over a two-year deal. I think that Pelfrey is definitely a cheaper option. Pfister at this point and if you're getting similar production from the two I think the Tigers kind of won out in that in that regard by not being sentimental
1: do you think it's worth kind of going into a little bit the the injury issues with Mike Palfrey he was a Tommy John uh he had Tommy John surgery in 2012 I think it was uh right around there I think is he pitched a full season in 2011 skipped 2012 came back and pitched a full season in 2013 then uh, just a short season in 2014 what was it in 2014 do you recall that sent him to the disabledist I want to say it was uh Compressed nerve or something like that it might have been related to the the Tommy John surgery. Yeah, he had an ulnar nerve decompression surgery in that elbow.
2: Um, that is probably related to the Tommy John surgery, but not necessarily indicative that he would need a second one. Um, it's just kind of one of those things, you know, if scar tissue builds up in that area, or if you know whatever else happens, maybe he causes some inflammation in that spot uh, that can compress the ulnar nerve a little bit. It's I guess a little bit similar to what we thought Shane Green had earlier this year with the ulnar neuritis. Uh, you know, getting the surgery to take care of that. I'm, I guess, a little bit surprised. I'm not exactly familiar with the with the with the surgery and what it entails. So I guess I'm a little surprised that he was out for you know the rest of the season with that after having that surgery in early June. Uh, but you know, it, he came back in 2015 and seemed pretty strong. So. We'll see. we'll see if any of these issues carry forward,
1: but for now, it's just kind of a, you know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Right, and like you said, I tend to trust the, the Tigers, Major League Scouts, uh, you know, on this sort of thing, and obviously they saw something they liked. They feel like he's going to be, you know, let, let's put it this way. If they saw a risk, I don't obviously see them going, yeah, let's put him on a two-year contract, especially not with the depth of pitching that they need. So that, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just jump on the Palfrey bandwagon. I'm driving that, that wagon all over the place, so anybody wants to get on board you know where to where to go uh moving on to the to the other big news there's actually a couple, couple pieces of news this week uh, the Tigers also added a bullpen piece in potentially an eighth inning maybe seventh inning uh, later innings reliever in mark Lowe two years 13 million dollars uh you know Rob we were talking you know in several previous podcasts about who they might add for that you know, a little bit of depth in the bullpen and we'd thrown around these names like Sean Kelly, Antonio Bastardo. Um, Mark Lowe is, is one that I honestly kind of flew a little bit under my radar or I thought anyway, until I looked back at our uh, bless you boys uh, top 10 staff free agent picks and he was on my list. So apparently I picked him and then forgot about him, but he does profile a lot like these other guys we were talking about.
2: Yeah. I think Lowe was kind of one of the, one of the forgotten bullpen arms. Uh, If you can put it that way, Um, I guess I kind of want to back up a little bit. Uh, I believe Ken Rosenthal today actually corrected the number on low signing. It's actually two years and only 11 million. Uh, So shaves off a million a year. For that contract, which is uh, is kind of nice, you know, getting paid five and a half million, mm-hmm. not too bad for a bullpen piece uh, these days. Um, but getting back to Low, you know, there were kind of a group of bullpen arms that uh, a lot of Tigers fans wanted to see. You know, this kind of the tier below the guys like Darren O'Day and Joaquin Soria. You know, you had Sean Kelly in there, you had Mark Lowe in there. Um, there's another right-hander that I'm kind of forgetting the name of right now. Um, and you know, at grabbing someone like that, you know, getting low on a two-year deal, I think is a pretty good, pretty good move for them. Given the season he had last year, his ERA was under two. You know, had a strikeout to walk, strikeout to walk ratio of over five. Uh, you know, it was kind of a one-year, kind of a one-year blip for him. Uh, the the last couple years before that, he had really struggled. Uh, but looking deeper at the kind of at the peripherals and everything, his fastball velocity had really ticked up in 2015 and our our newest staff member Matt Comley the uh the British our British contingent of BYEB <laughs> uh wrote a paste, post today uh in detailing you know some of the differences that that Lowe or some of the changes that Lowe made to his repertoire I believe he tried a new slider grip that really worked out for really worked out for him last year and that slider was uh was hell on hell on right-handers and I think against lefties too
1: it certainly shows up in the numbers because as I look back at you know twenty fourteen twenty thirteen twenty twelve, you kind of go back. These are okay, you know, numbers here and there. But twenty fifteen stands out as, like you mentioned, an ERA under two, a FIP around two fifty seven. He's got the strikeout per nine at ten. Um, these these are the kind of things you want to see, but you want to know that it's not a fluke. It's not just a kind of a weird anomaly, a blip on the on the you know career. Uh, statistics page. What I'm hearing, though, in, in reading from guys like Matt Conley and is that these are changes. These are the results of changes that are, I think, repeatable and sustainable. You'd like to think so, Uh,
2: you know, getting his fastball back up to I think it averaged over 95 miles per hour last year and he was hitting, you know, 96, 97 pretty easily. You know, you get a guy that's doing that. That's a you know, that's a back end bullpen arm right there. You know, that's a guy that you can kind of slot into the eighth inning and hopefully not have to worry about it. I don't know if his ERA is necessarily going to be under two again, but if you can get him, you know, in that two and a half range, kind of where his FIP was last year. That's a that's a great thing to have, and I think changing the slider grip uh, was really beneficial for him. He had a lot more movement on it than he did the year than he did the years prior. And you know, getting that secondary pitch can really help him play off his fastball a little bit. You know, it was uh, it was (laughs) he was looking kind of that that slider had been uh, you know putting up some Al Albuquerque type numbers, peak Al Albuquerque type
1: numbers, if you will. It's very important to uh, clarify that that's Peak Albuquerque, not end of the road Albuquerque, no longer in Detroit, Albuquerque. Uh, I was uh, looking at one of our one of our uh, readers had left a question on the site too. Uh, just concerned about the 2015 splits because Lowe pitched for the Mariners for the first half of 2015 and then was uh, sent to the Blue Jays for the second half. And those those splits are a little bit wild. Um, just for example, in the first half of the season, his FIP was 1.88, and that shot up to 3.87 in the second half, uh, where his ERA was at 1 with Seattle and shot up to 3.79 with Toronto. So there was, I think, a legitimate question there of like, hey, what happened in the second half? Is there you know a decline happening that's going to continue into 2016? The answer is actually quite simple. It's just that he only pitched like 19 innings, In the second half and had two three really bad games um, which is you know in the course of a season fine have two three bad games you know it's gonna happen but if it happens in a short span of 19 innings then yeah those numbers tend to get really inflated and if you in fact take those couple of games out all those numbers drop radically his FIP comes back down I think under three his ERA drops under one so no real concerns there about the second half just just some oddities in the numbers and the volatility of of Small sample sizes. Uh, Rob, do you think this was a better option than, say, paying Joaquin Soria twenty four million over three years? I definitely think it was. You know,
2: guaranteeing three years to a reliever in general, I don't like. Uh, You know, it worked out with Joaquin Benoit. It didn't necessarily work out with Jose Valverde, although I believe his third year was an option. Um, And you know, and I think based on what I've read, I'm not fully up on, you know, Joaquin Soria's contract, but I thought I read somewhere that there is even a fourth year player option in there. I think you're right. Uh, and so, you know, that's a long time to give to a reliever, especially a guy coming off of a second Tommy John surgery. I'm still a little bit leery of of Soria because of that, and I was kind of hoping that the Tigers wouldn't uh, pony up the money that he was asking for for that. And so, you know, giving Mark Lowe less than half of that amount of money for a guy that put up better numbers last year I think is is a great move for them
1: yeah I saw something to the effect that he had incentives Joaquin Soria had incentives in that contract based on whether or not he could get some starting pitching in and I just don't see that uh you talk about the second Tommy John surgery I don't see it trending necessarily in that direction
2: well that's a guy that's never started before in his career. but I guess we should probably point out that uh, Tom Gorzolani had incentives in his contract last year if he made any starts, um, you know, given he he was form uh, you know, a starting pitcher in a past life. But still, I think that some of these relievers get these clauses put in their contract for,
1: you know, God knows what reason, but they're in there. <laughs> Just so they can, yeah, I don't know, go back and see it's in my contract. You got to let me start at least one game. Come on. Uh, it's... I don't know. I don't see Soria going back and starting anything. Maybe they get a little bit of a
2: bonus, like you know, remember, one, remember when Alex Wilson started that one yes. game randomly? Maybe, Maybe they get a little bit of
1: bonus, you know, if, if,
2: for whatever reason, you know, they they get to start a game. Boom, another fifty thousand in their pocket.
1: Oh, there you go. And that was such a weird circumstance, too. It's because they couldn't get uh, whoever it was. Uh, it was a buck farmer, I think, that couldn't fly out to the West Coast fast enough to make yeah, it Yeah, it was like the plane was delayed or something <laughs> like that. It's just so weird. And they won that game. The bullpen, of all things. Pitched the entire game, and they won it. Strange, strange things happening in 2015. The final bit of uh, exciting Tigers off-season hot stovey winter meetings type news. They picked up Jared Saltolamacchia. On a one-year contract, paying him basically the league minimum salary. Uh, this is, I mean, it's it's a backup catcher move. In uh, picking him up, James McCann, I think, is still definitely slated to be the primary starting catcher going forward. But, you know, when we were talking before about the, the depth that they need at catcher and how it's probably safer to have maybe three backup you know or not about ba- two backups, three total catchers on the team. Going forward with just James McCann and Brian Holiday did not sound like an appeasing option to me, so I'm kind of glad they picked up Saltalamacchia.
2: I love this move, frankly. You know, it's you know, you get a guy in Saltalamacchia who has had a lot of success over his career. You know, his uh, OPS against right handers is like 770 or something like that. That's fantastic for a catcher uh you know, given his defensive numbers aren't great, uh, but you're paying him the league minimum and he's adding a lot of necessary catching depth. Uh, you know, they're the Tigers are gonna kinda have to run into, you know, options and whatnot. If they do try to send Brian Holiday down to the minors, they're gonna have to run him through waivers uh or whatnot. So we'll see what happens at that point, but I think this is a this is the kind of move that you grab Salta LaMacchia now and then worry about the consequences later. Um you know, paying him, you're paying him the league minimum. What do you have to lose for uh, for anything here? And if he regains anything close to what he did offensively for the Red Sox in 2013, I mean, this is a guy that could start 110, 120 games for you and put up you know valuable numbers based on his bat alone.
1: Yeah, 2013 is definitely the the big year for Saltillo and I don't see a whole lot surrounding that that you know approaches that that kind of production. Um, It was definitely kind of a breakout year for him. I don't expect him to get back to those levels. But you look at the career averages, and like you said, it's the splits that I'm interested in. It's the platoon splits, the fact that he just beats up on right-handers when he's batting from the left-handed side. He is a switch-hitting catcher. And so when he's batting from the left side against righties, he does a hell of a job. Not so great from the other side of the plate, but that just becomes then a matter of pairing him up with, with James McCann in the right ways, uh, because McCann is exactly the opposite, he hits uh, he hits lefties extremely well, not so great on the right-handed side. So it's uh, you know I th- I think if Brad Osmus is you know attuned to that and makes sure to platoon them in the right ways with when you know making sure that when McCann starts it's it's lefties on the mound. Of course he's going to get some starts against righties just because McCann's your guy. He's going to start the majority of games. Right-handers are the majority of pitchers. You're going to have that. But I think if they played the platoons right, uh, when I was running the numbers anyway, the uh, the actual combined output of those two is better than what McCann could produce just on his own.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, I do have faith that Brad is going to be able to run that the right way. Uh, you know, thinking back to last year, he used Anthony uh, Anthony Ghost and Rajay Davis pretty well in a platoon. Um, the only kind of the only times we really saw any deviation from that are on days that he would play Davis against right-handers. Uh, and he kind of gave what I thought was, you know, a fairly smart answer in saying, you know, you can't just platoon, you know, you can't just run a strict platoon because, you know, maybe one week you'll run into four lefties and then maybe you'll go a week and a half without facing another lefty. And you got to keep, you know, you got to keep his bat in the lineup a little bit. you got to keep him somewhat fresh. So, you know, having... James McCann as quote-unquote the short side of the platoon even though he'll play more of those games I think that Osmus will be able to kind of pitch uh, pick his spots pretty well as far as giving you know McCann all of the plate appearances against left-handers you know Salto Lamachia playing primarily against right-handers and I think that that will really work out for them
1: yeah I'll be curious to see how they do divide that Uh, that platoon a little bit just because i think again mccann's going to be your primary guy Uh, i expect him to get the majority you know of the starts i don't think it's going to be a complete 50 50 split in that sense and it certainly couldn't be uh 100 you know cued off of the handedness of the starting pitcher otherwise mccann would like hardly ever play uh, lefties went out and I think the numbers that I ran was like 30%. They, they saw 30% of plate appearances. So yeah, you're going to see uh, McCann in more than 30% of the games, I would hope. We talked just just briefly just now, just touched on the, the whole issue of the defensive um, numbers around Salta Lamachi and looking at some of the more advanced catching metrics. He's not the greatest when it comes to pitch framing. Um, he does an adequate, slightly above average job of, of throwing out base runners, according to Baseball prospectuses um stealing runs above average stat the the thing that people I think tend to forget though, Rob, is that those same numbers actually treat James McCann even worse than they do Salta Lamakia
2: well, I don't know if I would necessarily worry about the numbers as far as McCann goes. um you know, looking at Saltillo Laachia, I don't think he's you know much of a defensive downgrade if at all from what Holiday provides. Mm-hmm. so you get a guy who's you know probably you know they're probably fairly similar. Defensively, maybe Holiday's a shade better. Uh, but you know, Salta Lamacchia offers so much more offensive upside. Uh, and I think that another thing that people, you know, I don't think anyone's really talked about this aspect yet, is that Salta Lamacchia gives you, you know, just a bench bat. You, this is a guy that if, you know, if the Tigers aren't worried about having an emergency catcher, quote-unquote, you know, this is a guy that you can have pinch hit for someone in later innings. If you need a left-handed bat off that bench, he's got a little bit of power in his bat, and so that kind of he's a little bit more versatile than just being the backup catcher that holiday would
1: be. He does have pop. He does have power. The other thing that he does is strike out a whole hell of a lot. And the numbers are just not pretty. We're looking at close to 30 percent strikeout rate. If you thought Alex Avila drove you crazy with the strikeout, Salton is is really going to be a test of your patience. I guess the, the, the upside of that, though, Rob, is that when he's not striking out, he's hitting the ball hard and far.
2: Yeah, uh, I know. And Avila was doing that in the earlier part of his career, 2011, 2012, even somewhat in 2013. Um, But Salto Lamacchia has continued to kind of, you know, hit for power. Uh, His isolated power is pretty good over the last few years. Took a little bit of a downturn in 2015, although I think his numbers in in Arizona were pretty good, if I remember correctly. Um, But if you, you know, you get a guy that, you know, maybe he's not going to hit. You know, two eighty, two ninety. But if he's you know hitting for a bit of power there, it, it's a valuable piece to have. You know, both in the starting lineup on some days, as well as coming off the bench. You know, you can get a guy that you know, maybe he hits
1: a pinch hit home run or two in the key spot in twenty sixteen as well. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't have any problem with that. I'm just ready for the uh, the inevitable strikeouts and clutch situations that come with that. You know, you, you got to take the good with the bad. Yeah you know, Having him. Hey, like... at least no one's going to blame it on nepotism this time. Well already upside is being realized that it's not nepotism that does leave us with the question of brian holiday and there's a couple things you can do here uh with some i guess some rumors that were kind of floating around saying the texas rangers i think it was were interested in maybe swinging some kind of a deal for brian holiday the other option of course is that like you said you can you can try to keep him you can try to uh, even though he's out of options, try to push him through waivers. Hopes he make, you hope that he makes it through waivers and uh, get him some time in the minor leagues. Um, to have that third catcher, to have that extra depth, where do you think is the best path? Keep him true. I think, I
2: mean, unless the Texas Rangers blow him away with an offer for someone, I think you just hold on to him. You know, this is a guy who, you know, is making the major league minimum. He still has a few years of club control. Uh, underneath them and if you can sneak them back to the minors for one more season i think you got to do that having that catching depth i think is going to be crucial for them this year they're going to need someone at some point so i think that if you can if you can try to sneak them through waivers towards the end of spring training when every other you know team in baseball is trying to do the same thing i think that's probably your best option
1: i'm gonna probably agree with that i guess because you, you, when you look at the value of, of a Brian Holiday, um, you know, as a major league player, it's it's not that high, uh, which, you know, he, he hasn't had a whole lot of time to kind of get out there and prove himself over a full season. But the, the fact remains, you know, when you're looking at any of the, the statistics, war or whatever else you want to look at, he's just not super valuable to me that translates into that's what you're going to get in return. You're not going to swing a trade, you know, and get like Brian holiday for one of Texas's top prospects. It's just not going to happen. You're going to get a guy back in return that, you know, elicits the same reaction as Brian holiday, which is going to be, yeah, okay. So, you know, if you feel like you really need to get, uh, you know, a lottery ticket of an outfielder or something, uh, I, I, yeah, it's way better. I think to just go ahead and hang on to holiday and have yourself some, some catching depth, in return for that all right so that should wrap up our uh, rounding the bases segment when we get back we'll go to the warming in the pen segment to ask the question would you be comfortable if the season started tomorrow we'll talk about that after the break
0: here's the two two it's in the fly ball wide field deep and down the line and go. New one shot. Tigers back on top here
1: in the seventh. Seven All right, let's continue the show with our warming in the pen segment. We're going to talk about this question of: Would you be comfortable if the Tigers' season started tomorrow? And avoiding the obviously smartassian answer of "No," it because it's December and it's cold. uh No, that's not what I mean. I'm referring to something that. Al Avila said just recently in an interview, I can't remember exactly where, uh, he's at the winter meetings right now, which means he's taking interviews from all sorts of places. The Detroit News is printing stuff. The Free Press is printing stuff. MLB Network is running stuff. The point is, he made this statement to something along the, the lines that he was very confident uh, and happy with the team that they've assembled now. And said that if they did, in fact, have to field the team in 2016, and this was the team that they were fielding, he felt pretty good about it that's not necessarily the uh the, the feeling in the tiger fan base and uh there there's there's i think there's still some things to be done so where do we go from here rob would you be comfortable if the season started tomorrow
2: i wouldn't be comfortable really um you know i think that they're they're off to a great start so far, uh, but I think they still have a couple holes to fill. I think they could use another bullpen arm or two. Um, the rotation seems pretty well set, uh, and you know maybe you grab another outfielder. I think I'm a little bit more, you know, a little bit more okay with the outfield than a lot of other people. Uh, You know, I kind of see some of the upside that Cameron Maben provides there. You know, you still wonder kind of what Tyler Collins is going to do offensively. Uh, Maybe he kind of continues what he was doing in September. Um, But I would like to see them add another piece. You know, they're talking, they keep talking about adding a guy that could play the infield and outfield. Um, They say that's going to come through a trade, but I wouldn't mind seeing a guy, them grab a guy like Steve Pierce, um, so we'll see what exactly happens with that but if you know if the season were starting tomorrow uh I don't know I think they'd still be you know kind of that middle of the division type team if they were
1: if they were going into uh, Miami tomorrow well going into Miami they're gonna have to face uh, you know the big gun Jose Fernandez so I'm not comfortable maybe. with maybe they what, will we'll see <laughs> I guess yeah with what 20 teams talking to the Marlins right now you see to- my did you see my tweet on that? It's like, what are the other nine doing? I know, right? Why aren't sitting you back? asking about him? They're sitting back and waiting out the pack until they get you tired. Want, you want Jose Fernandez? Oh, no, we're good. Yeah, it's good. I mean, even I'm in on Jose Fernandez. I don't have a whole lot of money, but I'm still making the phone call. You never know. Uh, but no, if the, if the season were to start, this is the crew that were running out there in 2016 i'm probably a lot closer to being okay than what it sounds like you are the one thing that i definitely want to see them do is to pick up another reliever uh, and they have talked about this um, possibly going after uh, antonio bastardo or tony sip or one of these kind of guys I, i'm i like the movement of the bullpen the way it's going it's much better obviously than it was before mostly by subtraction and that they got rid of gorzolani and chamberlain and uh you know kroll and so on and so forth But when when I guess when we talk about what they need to do yet to make this a really good team and we start running on the options of a reliever or two, plus an outfielder, we're talking about adding three, maybe four extra pieces. The fact is that the Tigers payroll is extremely close to that luxury tax cap limit. I shouldn't say cap because that confuses people. It's not a salary cap, but they are close to the luxury tax threshold. Um, So how much wiggle room do they really have? To go ahead and add not only one reliever but two, and on top of that maybe another outfielder.
2: Well, if they're looking to stay under the tax, I think they only have like a couple million left. Right. Uh, Patrick O'Kennedy posted something today with the updated numbers, saying that they were you know really kind of butting up right against the edge of that. And then we got the news that Mark Lowe's contract was a little bit cheaper than we had anticipated. Uh, so I think the the actual cap or the actual tax number. Depends on you know even them declining or accepting team options for 2017. It's quite uh, you know quite convoluted. But yeah, I think that if they're going to add any piece of significance, whether it's a starter or a Tony Sip or you know a guy like Steve Pierce, like I mentioned, they're going to end up going over that luxury tax limit. Uh, the good news is that the, with the collective bargaining agreement expiring after this season, the tax penalties probably won't. Uh, continue and carry over into 2017. So we'll see what exactly exactly happens with that. And the Tigers won't be paying huge overages on the guys that they do sign. Uh, But I
1: think that we will see them end up paying at least a little bit of tax on something this year. Does that mean that you think that they'll go after these additional pieces by way of free agency then and spending the money and adding to the payroll, you know, going over the luxury tax limits and so forth? Or do you see them now trying to get creative with dealing off some of the, the pieces that are in the minor leagues?
2: They could do a little bit of both. Uh, Alavila seemed very, very reluctant in trading any trading away any of his young pitchers that he has so far, and it seems like the Tigers are really embracing this build work, build from within strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they realize that you really have to do this to be you know a sustainable franchise these days uh so we'll see exactly what happens with that Uh, and a lot of teams they've said a lot of teams are asking about guys like daniel norris michael former matt boyd and the tigers don't necessarily seem ready to to give up on those guys quite yet so it may end up being another free agent signing
1: yeah it's funny you should bring that up because there's just fun little bits flying all around right now the all the interviews that alavila is doing he did mentioned that when they were uh, talking to the New York Yankees about possibly trying to get Andrew Miller, uh, that the Yankees were coming back and asking for the likes of Norris, Boyd, Fulmer, and he said it was really tempting. But they are sticking to the philosophy. And in another interview, not that same one, uh, when he was talking about what they want to do with the bullpen and add some more arms, an arm or two, he he did say, and you can almost sense some of the frustration, he said it's not an easy thing to do, to just add you know by way of signing or whatever it's 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 not an easy thing to do he said see this is why i said it's better to build your bullpen from within he recognizes the limitations of trying to build a bullpen by going out and signing or trading and so forth so they are absolutely committed to hanging on uh, to some of the talent that they've got in the farm system it doesn't mean that there aren't pieces that couldn't move though and i think of um you know some of the other names that are not the uh, super bright and shiny prospects but you talk about you know Winton Bernard, Stephen Moya, God forbid, Michael Gerber. There, there may be some other options to, to send some of those guys out and maybe get a reliever out of the deal.
2: Yeah, I mean, they've already done once this offseason, sending away Javier Betancourt for their now-closer, Francisco Rodriguez. Uh, I don't necessarily know what exactly they would do. You saw Boston trade one of their starters for a pretty dominant reliever in Carson Smith. And so we'll see kind of how the reliever market continues to shape up. You know, teams are paying a lot of money for some of these free agents now. I know Ryan Madsen got three years and 20-odd million dollars, which was really kind of a shock. Um, But, you know, Kansas City winning the World Series, I think, showed teams that they kind of need relievers. And with this being such a copycat league, you know, teams are paying through the nose now for for those bullpen arms.
1: Oh yes they are. And Dave Dombrowski is fully committed to trying to copy the Kansas City Royals, you know, blueprint. Uh, you can just see it. it's already happened. He he added Craig Campbell to the bullpen to the bullpen in addition to Tezawa and Oehara that he already had, and then he goes out and gets Carson Smith. So he's added some real depth to that bullpen. But the comment was made the other day that he basically feels the starting rotation is set. A rotation that was below league average by a fair bit in 2015, and he solved that problem by just throwing David Price at the top of it and calling it good. It's it's totally the Kansas City Royal model, but it just doesn't work unless you have Kansas City's defense, unless you have an infield and outfield that presents the equivalent of 15 gloves. It's, it's not going to work. Uh, copycats, best of luck with that. Um, speaking of Kansas City, can we finally write Alex Gordon off, as someone the Tigers are interested in. Maybe you know uh,
2: there was a rumor, then there wasn't that the Tigers might or might or might not have been in, uh, interested in Gordon. We'll see Alex or uh, Al Avila, Sorry, debunk the rumor himself at the winter meetings. But at the same time, we've seen GMs you know say one thing and do another. So I don't know how much of that GM speak he learned from his predecessor, but. We'll see. I don't necessarily think it's likely, but, you know, maybe maybe if they're, one of those guys is sitting there in, like, January or something, then we'll
1: see you know, Mr. Illich open up the checkbook and say, you know what, go get him. Yeah, I would put the odds of picking up Alex Gordon and or UNA Cespedes, or not and, there's no way they're getting both. Uh, but to get either of those guys, I think that's, it's such an unlikely thing at this point, not only because of the money involved um, Despite Mike Illich's comments that you know screw it, spend it all, and I'll worry about it later, I don't think he really does want to go that far over the luxury tax threshold. So there's the money issue involved. Uh, there is you've got Alavila saying you know they're they're pretty satisfied with the offense side of things. They really want to focus more on you know pitching at this point. There's just a lot of indicators to me that says it's that's not going to happen. And you talk about okay fine if Alex Gordon is still sitting on the shelf come January, but come on, Gordon and Cespedes are got to be two of the top outfield prospects along with Jason Hayward I don't see those guys still hanging around till January well we saw that a lot with the you know with all the pitchers last offseason that they
2: kind of hung around till January granted I think that was more of a Scott Boris thing uh, and I don't think that neither subs- neither Cespedes nor Gordon is represented by Boris so they may sign at any point really but you know it's it's not that shocking to see some of these bigger names you know head into kind of the next calendar year still
1: unemployed Rob why are the Tigers interested in Brett Lowry I have
2: no idea that was <laughs> that was a surprise <laughs> I woke up to that on Monday morning and I was like what the
1: hell is that <laughs> that's what the hell, is exactly the response that you have. To that It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It didn't. I mean, we tried to rationalize it. You know, maybe
2: they move Nick Castellanos around. Maybe they do something stupid and try to move Brett Lawry into the outfield a little bit. Um, you know, maybe they're just trying to find another Ben Zobrist.
1: I, I don't know.
2: It was a weird one for sure.
1: Yeah. And I'm not sure what the, I, I get a little bit itchy when you talk about moving Nick Castellanos to the outfield because that's. I know that was kind of a thing for a while but it's just I don't think it is really a thing that you want to see but I know the Tigers keep talking about uh, you know possibly adding you just alluded to this uh, a utility player that can do both the infield and the outfield um I'm kind of putting my well let me let me just say this it's it's not Ben Zobrist um not only because the, t- the Tigers don't even seem to be linked to Zobrist in any kind of rumors, but I think Alavila clarified that they're talking about trying to find this utility player via trade, not via... Well, and Zobrist signed with the Cubs earlier today. He did. So he's off the market, yeah. Four years,
2: 56... I mean, this was like an hour, a couple hours ago.
1: Okay, I missed four that. Four years, that, 56 so. million, I think.
2: Four I years. I feel
1: reasonably confident in saying that Ben Zobrist is not coming to the Tigers. You can put that one down that I said that. It'll be the first time I'm right on this. Podcast. Good for you. There you go. I'm not always wrong. I just need to be after the fact. It raises the question, though, of who they they could be looking at as that that player. And you mentioned Steve Heers. I'm almost wondering if they're not going to end up looking at someone like Jacoby Jones. They could be. Uh, you
2: know, Jones is a guy who only spent about half the season in Double A last year. Uh, and then there's that whole suspension thing mm-hmm. that they, you know, still have to work around. We're not entirely sure if his suspension would be lifted by him moving to the 40-man roster. That was kind of more speculation on a lot of people's parts.
1: Um, so, but let's we'll... shift the terms just a little bit, though, because I, let's assume he's got to serve the suspension. He wouldn't, I don't think, be moved up to the to the major leagues in the first half of the season anyway. I'm talking about. The Tigers ride with the outfield they have for the first half. Do they then go to jo- Jacoby Jones as that utility player by by the second half? I think if he's performing in the uh, you know in the minor leagues a little bit, yeah,
2: that's definitely possible to get a call up. I think it would still be a little bit early for something like that, but you know sometimes these guys just force their way onto the roster by you know hitting really well in the minor leagues, especially you know if the guys hit well. Uh, Jones, I believe, hit. 23 24 home runs or something like that in the minor leagues last year uh so you know if he continues to hit bombs i mean this is a the thing we saw with jd martinez you know he hit 10 home runs in what was it seven games with the Mudheads and the tigers were like well we can't keep that guy in the minor leagues for now we got to call him
1: up and look what happened with that okay so maybe not jacoby jones because he's got you know like you said some time to work through things the name then that comes right to mind is don kelly i mean who better or infield slash outfield utility. See, slide. Don Kelly
2: saw this coming, and mm-hmm. he went and had Tommy John surgery, just so that the Tigers would not make the mistake of signing him.
1: Oh, geez. Hasht- he did, didn't he?
2: Hashtag Donnie Deeds.
1: He had Tommy John, didn't he? Yeah, he did. When Tommy Shh. Tommy Don surgery? Tommy Don surgery. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I
2: think it was like last. I don't know, late last season or something like that. So he's not even an option. They
1: saying he's out until probably the middle of the year. Wow. Okay. Forget that idea then too. I was sitting here scratching my head trying to remember which team he ultimately ended up with because uh, he was with Miami for a while, but I thought he might have moved on from there. No, I think he just got hurt. Oh. Okay. Could have sworn he, he went somewhere else. That was like Maybe, weird. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking of Andy Dirks. I you lose track of these former Tigers sometimes. Mm-hmm. All right. So yeah, uh, I think we're kind of on the same on the same page and saying that uh, neither of us is entirely comfortable with the tigers going forward into 2016 with this exact roster as is you're saying a reliever or two maybe an outfielder i'm saying hey at least a reliever isn't there an issue still to be sorted out with the with the roster aren't they at the full 40 now
2: they are at 40 guys on the 40 man roster uh if they sign anyone else they're going to have to designate someone for assignment. Try to push him through waivers. There are still a few guys on the forty-man that could potentially be that. Uh, you mentioned a guy like Winton Bernard earlier. Uh, you know, maybe they try to push him through waivers. Maybe they take one of their you know chuck it and duck relievers that they have on the forty-man roster, a Jose Valdez or a Montreal Robertson on there, and maybe they try to
1: push them through. You know, it's tough to say. Well time will tell then I guess uh, hopefully the Tigers are not done tweaking the roster at this point if they do yeah boy uh, even if they did run with this in 2016 I guess the hope would be just survive until the trade deadline and then maybe try and do something there to get to the you know get over that playoff hump but 2016 is going to be so awesome and interesting gosh looking forward to it wish there was baseball happening All right, that will wrap up our Warming in the Pens segment. We'll take a quick break, come back with the High and Tight segment. Are the Tigers back to being the toast of the Central? We will answer that when we get back. Three,
0: two, swinging a fly ball, center field. This one's deep, going back, Borges at the warning track, looking up, and it's gone! A home run! Amazing. How about it? First chance to hit 400, and Miguel Cabrera delivers in his 1st at hat-bat of the day.
1: All right, let's get right to work with our high and tight segment. Rob, we're asking the question Are the Tigers back to being the toast of the AL Central. We want to kind of run through, I think, all of the AL Central teams and kind of quickly recap what they've been doing this offseason. Let's just start with the defending World Series champion Kansas City Royals can't miss in 2016. Watch out. They're the ones to beat.
2: Yeah, I still think they are in the in the central, you know, as constructed right now. You know, they lost guys like Ben Zobrist, uh Johnny Cueto. Guys they only had for half the year. Um but they also they also lost Alex Gordon, you know, a pretty big loss for them. But this is a team that really kind of, you know, just ran roughshod over the rest of the over the rest of the division in 2015 and you know, it was you know, in spite of a lot of people saying, "Oh, they're only going to finish third or fourth in the division." Prior to the 2015 season, uh, this is a team that saw noticeable improvements from you know guys like Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, Lorenzo Kane developed into a, a world beater in center field, and you know, Kendrys Morales went back to being, you know, the Kendrys Morales of old uh, when after he signed. So there are a lot of pieces here that I think uh, will still perform for them you got a guy like omar infante maybe he comes back from injury and hits a little bit better uh salvador perez is still young and he could improve a little bit as well and i think there are a couple young arms on that pitching staff guys like Giordano ventura Maybe Danny Duffy gets a little bit better. Maybe they're you know, I don't necessarily know what's in their in their minor league system at that point, but maybe they maybe they bring in another younger guy. Uh, you know, Chris Medlin is a guy that they signed and he pitched a little bit late last year. And maybe he's one of those guys kind of steps into the rotation and fills that void from Cueto, who, you know, by all uh, by all accounts wasn't even that great for yeah, them really down wasn't.
1: the stretch. I looked at some second half numbers for Cueto, and it was decidedly Yawn. Inspiring uh, what he did, and so it kind of proved that that uh, they really had a winning formula as it was. Even though they had the kind of weaker starting rotation, like we said, they had just plus 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 defense and plus 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 bullpen, and they had this weird contact happy lineup that could run and scored just enough runs, you know, to get them all those wins. Uh, you talked about them losing some pieces, especially Alex Gordon. That's a huge defensive component gone. Uh, We know they also lost uh, Greg Holland as the closer, but they kind of made up for that missing bullpen spot by signing Joaquin Soria. So, I mean, I think their bullpen is going to be just fine. They they re-signed Chris Young back to the starting rotation. You just wonder if, you know, can that formula really work two years in a row? Well, it already kind of has. I mean, they won
2: what, how many, like 89, 90 games in 2014 when they finished just a game behind the Tigers and the AL Central. Uh, and they did that with a lot of the same kind of things. You know, people said last offseason, you know, can the Royals do this again? And they lost James Shields. And they lost uh, Billy Butler. So, you know, at, at this point,
1: I'm not necessarily doubting the Royals that much. I am, and I'll tell you why. I mean, I'm not doubting that much, but the, the doubt does come in just a little bit. And it has to do uh, with just the fact that their offense was so kind of based around this heavy contact kind of thing. They weren't like a slugging team. They scored a lot of runs by getting slap happy. And when you think about the fact that that's kind of dependent on you know batting average on balls in play, you wonder if the luck can hold out you know long enough to do that over and over again. You say, well, they did it two years in a row. Yeah, they kind of did it in 2014. But that's also with the Tigers going through some bizarre collapse. In that same year and making it a lot closer than they really needed to 2015, the Tigers, I think, were their only real competition anyway, as it was in 2014. And of course, 2015, the Tigers just went full on Hindenburg and blew up. And I think it made the Royals look maybe a little bit hotter than than they actually were. That's definitely a valid point. I believe, uh, I thought I'd remember looking
2: back and seeing that the Royals actually had a losing record against most of the playoff teams that they faced in the regular season. Um, but still, this is a team that won 95 games. Uh, you know, they kind of have that established formula of scratch across a few runs, you know, get to the bullpen, you know, make contact on everything that another pitcher throws at you. Um, and I think contact rate is kind of one of those things that isn't necessarily going to go away. Uh, you know, maybe the battering average on balls in play goes down, but they do have a lot of quick guys on this roster, uh, so we'll see. I don't, I don't necessarily know if some of the some of their role players are going to put up some of the numbers they did last year. You know, a guy like Paulo Orlando had an OPS plus of 90. Uh, Gerard Dyson was at 87. Christian Cologne. I was at 91 so you know those are guys that are putting up close to league average numbers for guys who probably aren't close to league average hitters
1: right and maybe the biggest indicators that our friends over at Royal Review are getting a little bit nervous with the offseason and things like you know uh, the Kansas City Royals saying yeah as far as you know losing Alex Gordon we're happy putting Rod Dyson out there as the full-time left fielder or full-time outfielder at least and kind of going uh well maybe not so if they're getting nervous then maybe that's a sign that 2016 is not going to be an automatic for the Royals so we go on to the Chicago White Sox and of course the big pickup (laughs) big real big big splashy move they got Alex Avila meantime they've lost some major pieces too.
2: Yeah, losing Jeff Samarja is kind of a mystery, I guess, for them. Um, you know, Samarja didn't do a whole lot last year. His ERA was, I believe, close to five, uh, but he did log over 200 innings for them. Um, and this is a team that, you know, after those top couple arms in the rotation, you know, you're looking at guys like John Danks uh, and others that were filling innings for them. And so there's not really a, a ready-made starter that's going into their rotation now. You know, they do add. Kind of add a full season of Carlos Rodon after limiting his innings a little bit last year, uh, but at the same time, this is a team that's lost a lot of pieces. You know, they also cut bait with Tyler Flowers, their backup catcher, um, and they still haven't found a replacement for Alexei Ramirez, their shortstop. Uh, you know, I I still struggle to see kind of where they're going to score their runs from. Maybe you get a little bit of a bounce back season for Melky Cabrera, but even then, that's still just him and Jose Abreu in the middle of that lineup with
1: not much else around him. You got to wonder what the hell the White Sox are doing at this point, because I don't even think I've seen them really linked to any of the major trade rumors thus far either. And, and like you said, as far as the pitching staff, the, the starting rotation anyway, it's it's a decent start, you know, with Chris Sale and then Jose Quintana and Carlos Rodan. It's it's a nice start. You you still need to fill a hole at the back end now with, you know, Samarja and Danks were the two pieces and you lost one of those. Until they figure out a way to get Jose Abreu into the lineup three times, uh, they need to do something with offense. And here it is: aside from you know signing Alex Avila, what what are they even doing? There's not really much that they are doing. You know, I'm taking a look at Southside Sox, our
2: sister site, right now, um, and they were you know maybe a little bit interested in Brett Lowry, a little bit interested in Asdrubal Cabrera, but those those names aren't necessarily earth movers. Uh, you have, you know. Other than that, their site is pretty quiet. I mean, we've had, you know, a gazillion posts go up in the last few days, and I think they're at like two or three <laughs> overall. Um, I don't know if they necessarily generate as much content as we do, so it's not a fair comparison. But at the same time, you know, there's just not much going on in Chicago right now.
1: Well, at least on that side that's right no that on the other side other things happening but uh talk to hawk harrelson ken the hawk harrelson i'm sure he will tell you that the white Sox are right on the edge of contending in fact i remember listening to a couple of games that he called in the beginning you know of april the start of the season in 2014 and he was or 2015 rather and he was on fire they, they'd won a couple of games right up front and he said this is a team that's going to go all the way man you're going to see a lot of a lot of walk-off wins a lot of <laughs> i think well okay Yep, you do what you do Sox, we'll keep watching. The Cleveland Indians again, another team that's not really been linked to a whole lot of uh, rumors so far and the rumors that they have been linked to have been kind of odd to me in that they had one of the best starting rotations in the central. You had guys that uh you know, in Kluber and Carrasco and Salazar that you know, for for much of the season, I don't know if they ended this way, but throughout much of the season, three of their five pitchers were in the top 5 American League starting pitchers for strikeouts. They were just striking everybody out. Uh, they had a huge differential between their starting pitching ERA and FIP, which indicated maybe some unluckiness or some defensive issues. But great starting rotation, a lot to build around. And yet the only rumors that I'm seeing, the Indians are listening to offers on their starting rotation, in particular, Danny Salazar. What are you doing? That's the, that's the piece you have going for you. Hey, you know what if they want to trade Danny Salazar for someone
2: I'm all for that. Get him out uh, of the central. Yeah, get him get him away from the Tigers. That guy is do- that guy dominated yes. us last year. Um so, you know, other than that, I I have no idea what they're doing. Why they're trying to look to break up that rotation. You know, you'd think you'd maybe maybe they take, you know, one or two of their prospects and try to trade that for a bat or something like that or they open up the open up the checkbook a little bit and try to add another piece uh i think i saw a rumor today that they're interested in rajay davis you know if that's going to be their big move in the off season <laughs> go ahead guys um but it's you know it's a another another quiet off season for them so uh,
1: yeah, hey I, it, it feels pretty good to be a tigers fan right now i'll say that well again see that's what i said the, the royals have competition in the central and it's the tigers and that's just about it the thing with the Indians, I, I know I kind of checked out of baseball in general, you know, mid-summer last year when the Tigers tanked. And I was watching, a, you know, a few games, but mostly it was like, I want to see Clayton Kershaw pitch or I want to see, you know, Mike Trout hit or something. Uh, as far as the Indians go, I, they picked up, um, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, I think they got Brandon Moss. If uh, Was it at the trade deadline or maybe at the offseason? I'm pretty sure Moss is still on the team. Well, they tra- I thought they traded Moss to
2: Cleveland last year. He was on the roster in twenty fourteen.
1: I, I have no idea. I haven't heard anything out of Cleveland for as far as I've seen. Yeah, now I gotta something. look up the damn roster because I swear Brandon Moss right? was on. Or did, uh, yeah. Michael Bourne's not there. I know that much.
2: Yeah, and no, They got rid of Michael Bourne. Is Nick's? Is we're so bad at this. Is Nick Swisher still
1: there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, a little bit of preparation for the show goes a probably would have go,
2: gone a long way. way. Taking a look right now. Okay, no. Brandon Moss is not on their forty-man roster. And Swisher um, is not. They picked up. Either. They picked up blockbuster move here. They picked up Colin Cowgill. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They dealt well, Moss at the. That. I mean, and then the other thing that's puzzling to me is you've got a guy in Michael Brantley who's going to be out for a while. You know, there are questions about whether right. he's going to be ready for opening day. Right. Um, you know, he had so- shoulder surgery. I believe it was his non-throwing shoulder, but still, that's going to be important for when he's
1: swinging the bat. Well, so, yeah, you know, this but... is a team that, that he's really kind of their offense right now. That's, that's where I was headed with all of this and trying to remember what, what's even out there in the outfield anymore. You talk about wanting to add Rajay Davis and saying, oh, yeah, that's right. Bourne isn't out there. Brantley isn't. The last thing I heard on Brantley is that he might not be back till June. He might be missing most of the first half of the season. Uh, it sounds like Brandon Moss is not there. I just checked. Nick Swisher is it w- went to Atlanta uh, in the middle of the season in 2015 so there's a lot of missing pieces here this this is a vehicle that has maybe four tires and a steering wheel and needs a lot built around it before it's ready for the road and yet yeah Rajay Davis is the big rumor that's it
2: hey you know what the, that pitching staff still looks pretty darn good that's a good rotation They're
1: talking about breaking up the rotation it's like why would you you've got four tires in a steering wheel don't flatten the tires I don't know what they're doing. I really don't. I thought the Indians were supposed to be like a, a smart team. Well, they did just lose their their
2: GM or president, Mark Shapiro did go to Toronto. Yeah, although he's right. doing some weird things there too, so maybe they need that team back together. You know, maybe they're like uh, Chris Antonetti, the current GM of the Indians, and Shapiro were like each like half
1: of the brain trust there. And now <laughs> that you take them apart, they have no idea what to do. That's a very plausible theory. I'm going to go with it. And then that leaves the Minnesota Twins. Ah, the Twins, the Twins. We love to hate on the Twins. We love to hate on the whole Central, I think. But the Twins, especially, just enemies of Detroit. And what they appear to be doing. Let me just kind of rewind a little bit. When we got into the whole Pelfrey thing, and then the Tigers getting Mike Pelfrey, and I was working with Matt Comley on that uh, article looking at uh, Pelfrey's numbers and the BABIP and all this sort of thing. And uh, he found that there were, I don't know what the exact stat was. He he came up with like the top five pitchers with some of the worst ground ball BABIP or something to that effect. And I pointed out, I'm like, dude, you realize that two of the other pitchers there are the Minnesota Twins, belong to the Twins. And so now I'm kind of looking at it going, the Twins need help, apparently, with their defense. It's hurting their starting pitching quite a bit Uh and yet they seem to be going the route of just let, let's stock up on offense.
2: They do, and it's still kind of weird that I think that of the four teams we're talking about here, I still like their offense off season the most so far. Um, it's kind of by default because the you know the White Sox and Indians haven't done anything, and the Royals spent a lot of money on Joaquin Soria. Uh, you know the Twins added um, Korean, I think he's Korean first baseman Byung Ho Park although maybe he plays a little bit of outfield, too. Um, You know, with how successful Jung Ho Gong was with the Pittsburgh Pirates last year, maybe Park is kind of another another pretty good bat that they could add to that lineup. They didn't spend a ton on him, so we'll see what he provides. Um, And then they also traded outfielder Aaron Hicks to the Yankees for backup catcher John Ryan Murphy. Uh, You know, Murphy isn't necessarily... Uh, you know, an an all-world catcher or anything, but I think that it was kind of a smart move for them. You know, you move a guy in Hicks that's going to be pretty redundant now with Byron Buxton coming to the major leagues. Uh, So, you know, you get something for almost nothing, I guess you could say. Uh, And then they also, you know, lost guys like Torrey Hunter, who I believe was a net negative for them last year. So that's more of an addition by subtraction type thing. Uh, But otherwise that core, you know, that kind of young core is still in place. You know, they're not great defensively right now, but that's still a team with some upside.
1: Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's the four teams in the central. And I'm just still looking back over the list again and going, yeah, I'm not seeing the twins presenting a huge, let me, let me just stop right there though and say, I think it's kind of far far more valuable at this point to look at what these teams have lost uh, when you talk about, you know, uh, the White Sox losing Jeff Samarja, uh, the Indians talking about breaking up the rotation and having lost some outfield pieces, the Twins losing Mike Pelfrey, you kind of get an idea of what they're going to have to do uh, bef- before the off season is over. The Twins need to add a starting pitcher. Who are they going to go after? The White Sox need to add a starting pitcher. Who are they going to go after? This kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, our uh, our good friend Grant Brisby wrote a post today predicting that jo- uh, Johnny Cueto would sign with the Twins, which I really hope does not happen, but I think it'd be kind of funny. Um You know, uh, maybe the Twins add one of their minor league pieces into the rotation. You know, they have a couple of decent arms there. Uh, Alex Meyer has been sitting in AAA for what seems like forever. Um, Jose Barrios is a very highly touted prospect who will see some major league action soon enough as well. Uh, So I don't know if they necessarily need to add a starting pitcher, especially with the horrible luck they've had on signing guys recently. You know, you had a good year out of Phil Hughes, uh, and then they've had, you know, guys like Ricky Nolasco and Irvin Santana. So maybe, maybe building from within is kind of the, the better avenue for them at this point. But uh, we'll see. Uh, if, if that farm system continues to produce like it has so far, uh, you know, with Miguel Sano coming up and
1: just absolutely terrorizing the rest of the American League, I think they'll be, sh- they'll be in good shape. Well, I'm with you though in saying it's it's a good time to be a Tiger fan, even in this off season, because when you kind of go through the catalog there and say, "Wow, a lot of needs," you know, some major pieces that are missing, and you consider where the Tigers are at at this point in the off season, with you know, it's pretty well set. We're talking about some minor tweaks, a bullpen arm, a utility man. Uh, They're sitting in pretty damn good shape right now, as far as I, I think it's. I don't think it, the winter meetings are not over yet, but I'm ready to declare the Tigers are winning the winter meetings at least. I'd say winning the winter meetings meeting sure, but I
2: There's don't know time. if I'd I don't know if I'd say winning the Central yet.
1: Okay, all right. I'm still gonna give them like I don't know my confidence of the Tigers uh, taking the Central Division title on a scale of one to ten. I'm I'm gonna give them a strong eight at least. I'm like five six range right now. You are not drinking enough of the Kool-Aid, man. No, but, you know, give me a little bit more Christmas eggnog maybe and then we'll we'll see how it feel. Okay. All it takes is like maybe 6 innings of listening to Dan Dickerson call games and it's like, "Ah, Tigers. Yeah, Central Champions again. We're doing it." Oh man, we got to get Dan Dickerson on the show. I just I need to hear his dulcet tones again. All right. Wrapping up the high and tight segment, we'll take a quick break. Come back for Into the Mob Scene at Home, take some listener questions, and uh, all I want for Christmas is this. I'll tell you what after the break.
0: Swinging a fly ball left field, deep, going back. Cabrera looking up, and it's gone! A home run! James McCann with the walk-off winner, number three. Rounding third exchanges the low ten with Dave Clark and into the mob scene
1: at home. And into the mob scene we go, the portion of the show when we take questions from our listeners, quickly becoming one of my favorite segments. I mean, outside of like, you know, fun interviews, which we've got one coming up here with uh Charlie Gibo of uh AZ Snake Pit in the next segment. But yes, uh Get us your questions for the show. You can contact us on the website at com. You can get uh, both Rob and myself on Twitter. I'm at Hookslide, B-Y-B Rob is at BYBRob. Or you can reach us on email, bybtigers at com. Oh, let's get right to it. Robert Loman asks, if Tyler Collins is the primary left fielder, how good will his numbers have to be for the fans not to be calling for his head?
2: I don't necessarily know if they need to be like all-world numbers for people to you know, be upset with him. I think that if he puts up, you know, if he does what he kind of did throughout September last year, hitting, you know, fairly well, you know, not at an all-star level, but he was kind of keeping his head above water. I think people were going to be happy with that. I mean, we've seen a lot of people put a lot of faith in him, you know, based on that month of production so far. Uh, he had a 732 OPS in about 60 games played this year. You know, if he continues with that, I think that's You know, fairly passable. He's not going to play all the games there, and I think that the Tigers will do well to get him some plate appearances in the right spots. um, You know, hitting more against right-handed pitching, so that he's kind of got that platoon advantage. Uh, You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with him. uh, But
1: I think that we'll see a little bit more of him than a lot of people expect. If the question is how good will his numbers have to be for the fans not to be calling for his head? I need clarification. What kind of fans are we talking about when you talk, you know, in terms of Collins doing just enough to keep his head above water that kind of thing tends to get lost on the rank and file fan, especially when that particular brand of fan remembers you Cespedes in left field the year before. And it's hard not to do the, uh, you know, comparison game. And we will do the comparison game just because this is the number that I think matters to most fans. Uh, In terms of runs created, Tyler Collins gives you a 162-game average of 58, okay? 58 runs created. UNA Cespedes was like 99. That's the gap that we're looking at. And, yeah, I I think that they can fill that gap in other ways, but I'm looking at it at a completely different angle. I'm just saying that's the gap of expectation, I think, for the rank-and-file fan is that level of performance. So uh, Tyler Collins had better come out swinging and – Playing very well, or I think he's going to become, he has the potential to very quickly become the next whipping boy, especially with some of the defensive miscues that we've seen he's capable of. Uh, it's, it's going to be a matter of how well they mask him with whoever's going to platoon there in left field. And by the way, we didn't talk about this, Rob, but um, saw a quote from Brad Osmus yesterday, I think it was, that he had been talking with Anthony Ghost about the possibility of Ghost playing in left field. Ghost said something to the effect of, I can play center. You know, I, I feel comfortable in center, but I can play the bleep out of left field.
2: Hey, you know what? if he if he wants to play the shit out of left field, I'm all for that. Uh, you know, uh, defensively, he may be good there. Uh, it kind of depends. I mean, we saw with Rajay Davis that, uh, you know, I think he had kind of trouble picking up the ball and whatnot off the bat. Uh, and I think that his his speed played a lot better in center field than in left. But if Ghost is a little bit uh, you know, a little bit better at reading the ball off the bat, I think he'd be, a, you know, quite above average left fielder there. The problem is that both him and Collins are left-handed. They both hit a lot better against right-handers. And so the Tigers don't necessarily have anyone that they can put in the lineup against lefties
1: problems to be overcome yet <laughs> with the rest of the off season. i guess we'll have to see um who can fill that void Slugonauts asks if the outfield roster stays as is could wynton bernard fill the void for platoon partner with tyler collins It's possible that he could. I've kind of read mixed scouting
2: reports on him. You know, some people say that they like what he brings to the table. He's got good speed. He's been compared to Rajay Davis. uh, You know, as far as a guy who has a little bit of power against lefties and has great speed. but at the same time, I've heard other people say, you know, he's not much more than an organizational arm. You know, some people even kind of dogged his effort that he was putting in in the minor leagues last year. So it's it's tough to say. Um, you know, now that I say that, I believe you know, someone from the Bernard family is probably going to, you know, yell at us on either on the website or on Twitter or whatnot. We've we've had that a couple times it's, in the past.
1: It's um, not our opinion. We're just reporting what we've heard.
2: That's, just that's saying not. what I've heard. Um, So, and I think that if the Tigers were a little bit more serious about it, you'd think that he would have gotten a call-up in September of this year, you know, especially with them needing outfielders. uh, You'd think that Bernard would have got a cup of coffee at some point. He's already on the 40-man roster, so it doesn't really change anything for them to have to add him to the active roster at that point. Uh, And the fact that we didn't see him, I think, is kind of telling.
1: I'm... I'm gonna say that i think the reason we didn't see him is because he spent most of the year at double a he hasn't even really shown his stuff at the triple a level just yet uh which is kind of getting to the answer answering the question i'm not sure he's ready to jump right to the big leagues and start platooning with someone like tyler collins Uh, i watched him play quite a bit in, in west michigan in 2014 and you know he was always a fan favorite there and he posted great numbers you know hit over 300 and had an OPS, I don't know, it's like somewhere around 800. He he did really well. Uh, and yes, he had the speed. I, th- I want to say he stole 40, 50 bases. So he's he's got some power. He's got some some speed behind him. He played an adequate uh, defense. He played a lot of center field, I think, when I watched him play. Uh, so, you know, yeah, there's there's definitely potential there. I liked what I saw in him playing a double A now. I've kind of lost track of what he's been doing, um, but I assume he's still faring well uh I would look for him to maybe make the jump to AAA A next year but I'd say he's at least a year out from being able to contribute you know at the at the big league level so
2: Yeah if he's going to contribute I think he's still probably a year away um but going back to your earlier point uh the Tigers called up Stephen Moya in 2014 in September even though he had spent the entire year at double A oh, so is that right it's, Yeah How it's not on Toledo that year No in 2014 Moya was at AA. A remember he had you know hit all those home runs and everyone was all about Stephen Moya being the next big thing in Detroit
1: okay yeah then the point that i have made is invalid and perhaps we will see some of uh you know, if he does get up to triple bernard i mean uh you might see him in september of next year during the roster expansion if he's if he's performing like he like like i saw him perform at west michigan so or earlier than that if he hits well, well right and they and they have the severe need uh yeah well, we'll see. I would be all for it. Wasn't he He's the one that had the appearance on The Price is Right, wasn't he? It was I think Family Feud. Family Feud. Sorry. I thought Well, no. I got sworn it was The Price is Right. Okay, we got to we have to figure that out and include it in the show notes when we do the post. JaJaBojangles Bojangles asks, "What kind of year do you expect Miguel Cabrera and Victor Martinez to have? Do Miggy and V-Mart's power return to 2014 numbers?" We'll see what happens with Miguel Cabrera's power. Um, he was a little bit
2: down uh, as far as par goes for, I think, most of the year in 2015, even though he was putting up some ridiculous numbers along the way. Um, as far as overall production goes, I don't think we need to worry about Cabrera at all. You know, you look f- at his numbers from April to August, and he was you know just as good as he's ever been. Uh, I believe he was even threatening the 200 w- WRC+. Plus, um, plateau at one point, uh, something that Bryce Harper nearly got to himself. Um, so I think Cabrera is going to be fine. I think that Victor Martinez, we'll see him bounce back. The question is, how much is he going to bounce back? I don't think we're ever going to see 2014 power numbers from Martinez again. But if he can get back to, you know, being kind of the 300 hitter who hits a boatload of doubles, you know, that's a very productive player to have in the middle of that lineup and is basically like another free agent signing. Uh, without having to actually pony up any more money than what you've already committed.
1: Yeah, and I'll go back to the number that I keep quoting in terms of his runs created. The, The difference between his average runs created and what he put up in 2015 for Victor Martinez was like 50 to the negative. It's going to be a huge jump if you can even get back to just career average. As far as the question, you know, saying, can they get back to 2014? No, I don't think vmart's going to ever get back to 2014 numbers. That was just an insane year when his well, his strikeout rate was like 5% or some ridiculous number. Well, weren't they, wasn't he like toe-in-toe uh, toe as far as number of home,
2: home runs hit and strikeouts uh, yes. for most of the year? Yeah, yes, he, he was, was. like... There was like huge like it was in like August he had hit more homers than he had strikeouts or something right. ridiculous
1: like that. He'd strike out and you'd go okay well now he's within one you know of tying the strikeout plus you know to match it with the home run numbers it was ridiculous. Obviously playing out of his mind that year a career year I don't know that you're gonna see him return to that but like Rob said if he can even get back to being you know 2013 version or 2011 version it's it's a huge huge gain as far as Miguel Cabrera. Um, I don't want Miguel Cabrera to return to 2014 power numbers because that year was the year he was kind of recovering from the core of surgery. Uh, 2013, 2012 are the years when he really you know did a lot of damage with 40 plus home runs and an OPS you know up to or over a thousand. Uh, 2014 he experienced a bit of a drop off and only hit 25 home runs and I mean he's still Miguel Cabrera right over 300 batting average and 371 OPS or I mean uh, on base percentage you know but that was definitely for him that was a, a drop off in power i would prefer to see him come back uh hitting a little stronger than he did 2015 was just weird i mean you look at those numbers 338 batting average the ops was back up to 974 so he's back into that 900 1000 range and yet 18 home runs just couldn't seem to get the the lift or something yeah, but he let, did he is that the year that he yeah i'm seeing a lot of doubles and such but no just high OPS but no no home runs. Just a
2: weird year for him.
1: Yeah. Well, he said he he said the the foot surgery, I think it was with the screws in his feet were bothering him all year and he was playing in pain all year and couldn't get, you know, the drive off the leg that he wanted. So, we'll see what uh, what comes of 2016 if he's healthy again. Got to keep those two guys healthy. They are the run production. RS Chutzpah says, "Would it be possible to trade Kinsler and reattach the money owed to Prince fielder?" If the Tigers pull off a salary dump like this, would they consider signing Cespedes more seriously? I mean, if they did pull off a salary
2: dump like that, I I imagine they probably would look to add an outfielder, but it's like robbing Peter to pay Paul. Uh, you know, trading Kinsler, I think, is just going to create a bigger hole than you're filling elsewhere on the roster. Um, and the, I think the only reason to even trade Kinsler would be to add a cost-controlled outfielder or some sort of cost-controlled second baseman. Uh, so you know i i just don't see it happening in the the i i don't see the tigers getting back more value for kinsler than they would trade away by trading him even if they did somehow reattach the 30 million dollars that they owed a fielder for that i i just don't see that happening and i i want to see
1: kinsler in detroit in 2016. Right. i guess i'm i'm struggling to understand the question um I mean, is the suggestion here that we could somehow trade Kinsler to another team and get that team to pick up what's left of the fielder contract?
2: Yeah, the thirty million that we owe Texas.
1: I have a hard time seeing any team being willing to do that. Means, yeah, we'll take on Kinsler and his salary plus we'll go ahead and take on this this phantom salary for a guy who's even. I guess Texas is reporting mean, trying to get him off. The if roster. you're doing if you're doing that, then you're basically trading Kinsler for nothing. Yeah, that's a i i just don't see i mean the question was is it possible i guess anything's possible is it likely i don't see a team being willing to do that is Is it smart probably not no no when you've got one of the best you know second basemen in the american league if not in baseball you yeah kinsler needs to stick around uh we've seen already you know that the the tigers have a very or alavila especially is a very very uh complex puzzle to solve in trying to fill out this roster with a limited amount of money and resources in terms of prospects. And he's doing an admirable job of it. I just don't see him then blowing a huge hole in that at second base and having to figure out how to put those pieces back together. Aurelio fan says, should I be worried that the tigers have not pounced on a JD Martinez extension? No, I wouldn't be too worried about that
2: yet. Uh, There are a lot of different reasons for this. Um, For one you know, signing Martinez to an extension will raise his luxury tax uh, hit. I guess if you want to say that, uh, what the Tigers have done with the, in the past with the guys like Miguel Cabrera and Justin Berlander, they've signed them to that one-year deal that they always do to avoid arbitration, and then they extended him beyond that uh, so that the extension doesn't kick in until the following year. Um, I believe I read something earlier this week that the Tigers were still kind of working on exploring uh, an extension for Martinez, and will you know give him some sort of offer before the start of the year. Um, you know, I'm not not necessarily worried that they haven't done that yet. Uh, Alavi, the last I checked, he is human. He does need to like eat and sleep and things like that. And he's been very busy filling out the rest of the roster. Um, you know, it was it was funny seeing some of that stuff on Sunday and Monday. You know, it came across at like 2:30 in the morning that the Tigers were interested in Lowry, and then you know at six in the morning they had finalized the Mark Lowe signing and all that stuff. And I'm just like, does this guy even sleep? Nope. Um, and then I think one other thing that you got to kind of think about with Martinez is the end of the collective bargaining agreement after this year. Um, for one, I think that the, the, you know, the luxury tax threshold will probably change. So the Tigers may be a little bit more inclined to wait until next offseason to do it, even if it does cost them a little bit more money. I think you'll have a little bit better idea of wh- how much money is coming into the game, um, both from, you know, any sort of TV deals and, you know, revenue sharing and a bunch of different things like that. Um, so we'll see kind of what, how that factors into everything. Uh, but I still wouldn't be too surprised to see them lock down a deal with Martinez later this off season. I remember yeah, a lot of, uh, sorry to cut you off there, but a lot of the other deals, I mean, we've seen, you know, Miguel Cabrera signed in spring training, Justin Berlander signed in spring training. So I think that they tend to handle those
1: more towards the end of the offseason. Yeah, I wouldn't be concerned about it. Um, it's it's clear that they're going to get something done one way or the other, and I have a feeling that J.D. Martinez is happy to, you know, be patient and let them finish up with winter meetings and, you know, taking care of bigger needs like filling out a starting rotation and filling out a bullpen they're they're going to do something with him and you know like you mentioned with this possibility of a greater cash flow or you know whether it's a TV deal or the luxury tax being lifted you could even see you know i think a case being made where they could make a deal with martinez and say hey we'll we'll give you a, a minimal salary bump for the next year but once all these you know other things fall through then we'll negotiate a nice big contract with you and see if that you know see if that goes the thing that is funny to me, you talk about uh the phone buzzing at two thirty in the morning, you know, and they're they're negotiating with whatever and then they finalize things at six in the morning. Do you know who else does a lot of deals in the middle of the night? The Mafia. Just saying. Alabela, he's the godfather. Alright, last question. Single digit says Oh, that's sweet. What do y'all want for Christmas? I'm hoping for a G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip myself. See, somebody listened. Somebody heard me sign off the show last week saying nobody had even asked what we want. And they want to know. I want another bullpen arm. (laughs) Wait a minute. Okay. Is this like, what do you want for Tiger's Christmas or just Christmas Christmas?
2: Well, I was thinking Tiger's Christmas at first. Hmm.
1: Christmas Christmas, I have no idea. Right? It's like two, three weeks away and I still haven't made out a list it's and... so different
2: now like being an adult versus being a kid yeah. i remember like as a kid my christmas list was a mile long yes. you know it was like longer than the colorado yes. rockies needs for good players um <laughs> oh zing! So, you know and and now i'm like well i don't
1: know maybe like a movie would be nice right no people ask you know my parents my in-laws you know what, what, what do you want for christmas i'm like i'm an adult see so when i need something or want something i go buy it so when december rolls around i I don't know, I don't need more crap in the house. Give me a six pack of beer. I like a good craft beer. You know what I want? I'm interested in reading that new book that's coming out in February, The Cardinal way. I know. you know what you know what I just saw to go off on a tangent here. Yeah. Uh, I believe I just saw on Twitter that the
2: Tigers are going to release a book called The Tiger Way. uh maybe not uh, you know to the public, but to their their minor leagues and things like that. No we have kidding. officially we oh, we have a way now. Well, that's good. I leave it to—is to, that, uh, that
1: good or bad? Well, I mean, I'm going to leave it to other wittier people to describe what that way is. I mean, overpaying for closers, yeah, not that, fixing the rest of the bullpen, not having a bullpen that's worth two. Yeah, what's the Tiger way? I Are we know. still is our Tiger way still having no defense in the outfield whatsoever? <laughs> How big of a sample size do you want? The Tiger Way stretching back to, you know, when Ty Cobb was on the team, or, you know, do we let Al Avila kind of do his thing for about five years and then construct, you know, a, this is the Tiger Way? I'm looking for this article now. I think it was on the Detroit News. While you're doing that, I, w- I was saying that this book is coming out in February called The Cardinal Way, and it's uh, supposedly talking about how this team managed to marry Moneyball with tradition. I, I just, I like reading about what other teams are doing uh, especially if it has to do with sabermetrics. I'm always kind of interested in that and seeing, you know, how could the Tigers maybe adopt some of those same principles. So that's that's what I want for Christmas.
2: Yeah, here it is. It's written by Chris McCoskey at the Detroit News. And Avila says, quote, This isn't something we're doing for the media. This is basic sound baseball stuff that we feel is necessary for the organization to have some continuity and consist- consistency in the system. Quite frankly, it's going to be low-key under the radar. It's not something we're going to put out there, the Tigers' way. That's not the intent. It's for our internal use. We want to make sure guys know what we want.
1: We need to get uh, our hands on a copy of that. Come yes, hell do. or high water. Yes, we do. I think we I'm have putting, enough people.
2: I'm putting Emily Walden on this right now. She'll have it within a week.
1: Yeah, it's got to happen. We have enough contacts in the minor league. I mean, I'm right here in West Michigan. If it gets down this far to the single A level, I will find a way to get a copy of that. <laughs> I want to know what it says. I'm, I'm encouraged by that. I'm glad you brought it up because that was something that popped up earlier today just the fact that they are trying to implement a you know cross the board uh standardization basically from all the different minor league levels and i don't know if we really touched on that in the past podcast but uh it's definitely important it's something that um i remember reading about in the extra two percent that the tampa bay rays had kind of a problem with that um and uh you know we we've we've heard some some things you know from our own inside sources that maybe the tigers also have that that situation where the the coaches at different levels are not necessarily always on the same page and so you know a pitcher or a hitter at single A might get to double A and suddenly it's you know no we want you to throw this pitch and take that one away and change your hitting style to this or that i, I think there's some room there and i'm glad to hear that they're talking about standardizing across the board
2: well, and we've seen, I mean, you see the, the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, their their farm system is like an assembly line. You know, if someone gets hurt or if someone leaves in free agency, there's another guy that comes in. It's another, you know, random guy with a, a weird name who comes in and does the exact same thing and performs the exact same way. Um, you know, you get guys like Steven Piscotti and whatnot. They have like eight different outfielders that they used last year, and I think all of them hit like
1: 290 with like 15 home runs or something like that. It's ridiculous consistency it's all the way through you read about the other teams and you see just how damaging it can be just even for a hitter to go from single a where he's mashing to double a where the hitting coach suddenly says hey i don't like the way you're you know stepping or open up your stands or whatever and suddenly he's screwed up and then he goes to the triple a and is having you know a different coach saying nope change it back and do this and hit more home runs and it, it can be a real mess it can screw up your development i i I think we start to see some real benefits from that well you read that book big data baseball
2: about the pirates right did yes. they have any
1: sort of thing kind of like that did that book touch on anything like that you know what i just said extra two percent tampa bay rays i might have been thinking of big data baseball actually uh in fact charlie morton right yeah was the one that they kind of resurrected in fact he was one yes that now that i'm talking it through he was one in particular. That said, as he went up through the different levels, and I don't think it was necessarily with the Pirates at the time, but the levels that he did go through, his pitching coaches at each level were telling him to change, you know, we want you to throw these kinds of pitches and go for contact, and then the next level it's, no, we want more strikeouts, go for more fastballs, and it really jacked him up until he got in touch with Ray Searidge, who said, dude, do what's comfortable, do what's natural, and we'll work with that, and suddenly he became awesome. Hey,
2: you know, if the Tigers want to make Mike Pelfrey into the next Charlie Morton, I'm okay with that.
1: Yeah, if they don't, you know, if they want to take steps to not screw up someone like Joe Jimenez who's coming up, you know, through the system so that he can actually be a shutdown closer by the time he gets to Detroit, that would be awesome. Absolutely do it. Okay. That concludes our Into the Mob scene at home segment. Take a quick break, come back for the 7th inning Kvetch, and uh, we'll be joined by Charlie Gibo from AZ Snake Pit. We'll be talking about the fact that Zach Greinke is now the Diamondbacks ace. When we get back.
0: Three now, here's the 2-2. Two, two. Oh boy. Curveball grabbed the outside corner. Victor not happy. The pitch that he felt went around the plate. You rarely see Victor complain. Brad Ausmus better get out there quickly. Ah! Oh, I- Talk. Wow.
1: And welcome back from the break. Let's start winding down here with our seventh inning Kvetch segment. Hey, we've got company today. Charlie Gibo joins us from our sister site, azsnakepit.com. That's SB Nation's Arizona Diamondbacks blog. Charlie is a staff writer and editor for the site, and uh, we've got some things to talk about. Charlie, thanks for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me on, and oh boy, do we ever, as of 10 minutes ago.
1: Yeah, right, as of 10 minutes ago. We were all set to talk about one particular uh, free agent signing in particular that maybe some of our listeners perhaps heard about. But yeah, there's breaking news all the time. This is the uh, hazard of the job when you try to record a podcast while the winter meetings are actually taking place, so... Lots of fun stuff to talk about. Let's get down to it. Um, Full disclosure, though, Charlie, I have to admit, on last week's show, Rob and I were talking about uh, the offer that the Diamondbacks had made to Johnny Cueto. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he had turned down that offer and so on and so forth. And we got into a little discussion about why he might have uh, turned them down. Was it the money? And uh, we ended up deciding it's because he actually wanted to pitch for a Major League Baseball team. So, yeah. Yeah. We uh, we got to clowning around on the Diamondbacks a little bit there, and boy, am I wearing the egg on my face this week? Hey, I said Phoenix was nice. Well, you did say that. Uh, I think. Eh. I
3: might... <laughs> I, full disclosure. Full disclosure. I don't live in Phoenix, so
1: <laughs> so you can clown on Phoenix all you want. Then yeah, <laughs> I felt a little bit better that when I uh, mentioned to my wife about the Zach Greinke uh, signing going down, <laughs> that she said, "Who are the Diamondbacks?" Now she's a baseball fan for the most part, okay, and not necessarily, you know. They
3: they've won a World Series within her lifetime,
1: right? This is true. This is true. They, oh, it's yeah, it's bad, right? Like they've won one more recently than we have, Rob. But you,
3: you, but you've been to two more. I don't know how the exchange rate goes, so
1: I don't know. It <laughs> depends on who you ask. It really does. So yeah. Yeah, so after all of that clowning around and ha ha ha, they couldn't get Johnny Cueto. What happens this week? They end up landing like the number one sought after free agent starting pitcher on the market. After maybe David Price was you know went off the market to the Boston Red Sox. Who's left? It's Zach Greinke. And uh, well, hold on, hold on. Let's let's go ahead and talk about this trade right now.
2: Live podcasting here. This is the winter (laughs) meetings. Yes, we're going live with this. Let's go ahead and talk about the trade that just
1: happened. All right, let's do that. Um. Charlie, Yeah, I-, um, I still need to process it a little bit. Um, well, just, just for the people that are listening, let's kind of break this down in terms of what it is. It's the, the, uh, and I'm still trying to figure out all the pieces of <laughs> all this. All right,
2: let's go here. So the Diamondbacks just traded for starting pitcher Shelby Biller from the Atlanta Braves. They sent back, uh, if I'm reading this right, Ender Inciarte, who's an outfielder, Aaron Blair, a pitching prospect, and Dansby Swanson, a shortstop that was the number one overall pick in last year's draft. I got that right? Yes. And with, with some sort of minor league, you're coming back to Arizona as well.
3: Yeah. Um, I will say to be somewhat neutral, it is a sign that they're sort of win now with the Granky thing and out and that trade that shows that 2016 slash 2017 is definitely the, Hey, we're going to try to win a world series now. And, uh, I don't know. Like I said, it still takes out the process. But if it was Miller for those first two names you listed, I would have been like, eh, yeah, but, you know, okay with it. It's Swanson there that's like, ooh, boy. Because that's two years in a row within the last, god, six months or so that the Diamondbacks' first-round pick has gone to Atlanta <laughs> with uh, the uh, Chucky Sot slash Bronson Royal salary jettison.
2: Uh, now what did what did they get back for for Tucson Arroyo last year?
3: Uh, Phil G- Goslin. That's about it because that was a salary dump with a ooh look at the shiny thing with the salary dump. Uh, so Phil Goslin, who's a uh, utility guy, he's probably he's probably going to be on the team in 2016 on the 25 on opening day, but more as a backup second baseman, shortstop, third baseman, probably not a starter unless someone gets hurt. But that's, other than not having Bronson Arroyo around anymore, that's pretty much all they got.
1: So it's interesting to hear you say that you feel like the Diamondbacks are going for it uh, in 2016 slash 2017. That certainly seems to be the case with the moves that they're making, Uh, and I'm looking back over the last five years and going, okay, why, why did, were they not on the radar? And it's because they've had a couple years of under 500 ball and, and a couple years of just 500 ball before that. So they were just sort of there in the baseball cosmos, not really doing a whole lot. They did clinch the division in 2011, but then did an early exit in the ALDS. Now here's the goofy thing about it, Charlie. I, I like to put some money on the horses, so to speak, every now and then. And here I am on one of the Vegas sites a couple of days back and, uh, Prior to the Granky signing and okay. noticing that the diamondbacks are listed at seventy five to one odds to win the World Series. And I'm thinking, yeah, ten dollars, why not? That wins me seven hundred and fifty bucks if they somehow pull it out. Then the Granky trade goes down and it literally within five to ten minutes, with my hands on the keyboard ready to drop that ten dollar bet, the odds shift. The bet is invalid. They have moved to forty to one odds. Just based on the Granky signing alone. How how far do you want to push those odds now with Shelby Miller as part of this question?
3: I think it trending that way makes sense because obviously Zach Reiki is a big name, and I think with the Diamondbacks specifically, if you looked at the 2015 team, that lineup as constructed probably one of the better ones in the National League. So you could probably leave that lineup alone, you know, if you had the same performance of the 2015 Diamondbacks in in the position player sense in the 2016 Dimebacks, then add Gregory, then add Miller. You have a team that has a very good shot of making the playoffs and possibly winning the division, depending on what L.A. and San Francisco do for the rest of the offseason. Uh, But, yeah, the 2015 Dimebacks, you know, they had Paul Goldschmidt, second in MVP voting, probably the best first baseman in the National League. Uh, A.J. Pollock, uh, you know, one of the few guys drafted in the same year as Mike Trout that the team didn't really regret it. He had a really breakout season, so if he maintains that or maybe only regresses a little, he's strong. Uh corner outfielders were fine. Uh David Peranto's probably pretty solid. They traded away in CR but they do have a sort of ready made replacement in uh the eighty named uh, Socrates Brito, uh to be a sort of uh, all outfielders, uh speed leadoff kinda of guy. Um Yeah, I mean the line um the middle infielders are kind of a- hitting, but Nick Ahmed, who was acquired from the Braves in the Justin Upton deal in 2012, 13, I forget what it was, um, he's a very, very good defensive shortstop. Second base is a bit of a question mark. Aaron Hill's getting up there in age. He's probably not long for the Diamondbacks if they could find a way to jazz in a salary. Chris Owings was the star last year, and he disappointed, though I personally wouldn't give up on him yet because he had very, very good numbers in the minors. But uh, he just did not do well last year. Um, catching, they you know, got a, a random shot when they got Wellington Castillo for the Mariners last year in the trade that set Mark Trumbo over there, who just hit the daylights out of the ball when he got the Phoenix. Now, again, can you expect that in 2016? Probably not to the same you know, level. But if he's even a little, you know, if he only regresses a little, that's still... Probably above average catching, at least offensively. So yeah, the lineup as constructed is, you know, pretty damn good. I think they were second in the National League in runs last year.
1: Yeah, they but... were. that was kind of a surprise to look back at the at the record. And see, they, even though they finished under 500, their Pythagorean uh, expectation set them at uh, should have been above uh, 500, and that's because they scored 720 runs. Now to put that in context for our listeners, the the World Championship uh, Championship Kansas City Royals only scored 724 runs mm-hmm. that's enough runs to get you into contention the problem was on the run prevention side where they allowed 713 i think it was a run differential of like seven um so clearly the problem is not on the run scoring side the problem is on preventing runs is that more of a pitching problem or a defense problem or a little bit of both
3: i was. say it's per- almost exclusively a pitching problem because mm. they were also pretty good defensively last year and you know, you shouldn't give much, too much credence to the gold gloves, but they had two gold glove winners and Goldschmidt and Pollock. And I, I mentioned Nick Ahmed. He's very, very good defensively at shortstop. And, yeah, they pretty much all above-average defenders, more or less, except for maybe catcher. But you could kind of live with that if everything else is good. But, yeah, it's just the rotation last year at the start of last year was just kind of, ooh, because they traded away Wade Miley. Uh, Patrick Corbin was still recovering from Tommy John surgery and so they just had a bunch of just guys that they just sort of threw out there try to see who stuck um and that was pretty much like you kind of knew going into last year that it was a rebuilding year and so you knew you just had all these pitchers young pitchers who are cost controlled who you you just want to see who could stick in one way or the other so you know they had guys like uh you know, like Ruby De La Rosa or Aaron Blair, who they got for the Red Sox in the Miley trade, or uh, your old friend Robbie Ray, who uh, <laughs> actually st- who actually stuck in the rotation and probably will stick in 2016, uh, because he pitched pretty well. Uh, and, Just got you know-
1: to rub it in, don't you? Just mm-hmm. got to rub it in. A little bit. Yep. We're about done with this interview, I think. Uh, Talking about Robbie Ray like that. And just to set the record straight, i I got the numbers in front of me now. It's 720 runs scored, 713 runs allowed. I I think I said 723, which doesn't even add up mathematically the way I had it. So there it is. Um, You were talking about the starting pitching being an issue. Of course, uh, you, you know that defense can be an issue. But another factor that could hurt you in the runs allowed department is the bullpen. How do you feel about their bullpen going forward? Um... Yeah. <laughs> okay.
3: Yeah. Um, that's the thing. Bullpens are just very volatile, so it's hard to on a year-to-year basis to really gauge how good it will be. There's um, we kind of know going into this year that Brad Ziegler is still be the closer. Um, he's pretty effective in that role. That's fine, even though he's kind of more suited to be a you know, guy you throw in when there's, when you need a double play against a right-hander kind of guy, but he's done a lot better against lefties for, you know, like a side-arming, submarining kind of pitcher than normally would. I don't know how much that'll last or whatever, but beyond that, again, it's kind of a mishmash of guys, and I think another sort of priority of this offseason, something you can kind of do on the cheap is, is, uh, you know, stock up a bullpen depth, you know, just cheap, arms that you can maybe throw out you don't need to like go trade for or sign some superstar reliever you just need sort of more decent arms so that you know there are some guys who might be on the roster to start the season it could be in the minors and you know if something happens injuries and effectiveness you can bring those guys in yeah i think it's just finding more depth it wasn't a bad group last year but they did throw a lot of innings i think the most in the majors because The starting rotation had trouble getting deep in the because they were all fairly young, somewhat ineffective, that sort of thing. So the Diamondbacks bullpen did a lot last year, and they did fairly okay, but just depth would be probably the biggest thing there.
1: Well, like any true obsessed baseball fan, I'm sure you're here with Rob and I, and we're all sort of scouring the the, the AP wires and looking at the spreadsheets, and you've got to have a couple of, of names in mind, whether it's uh, trade targets or free agent signings that, you, that you're that you still looking at before these winter meetings conclude. Give me like the top two or three that you're thinking really want to see the Diamondbacks get that guy.
0: Hmm.
3: Well, already got one of them. Uh, <laughs>
1: yeah. But... um. I think this is getting hostile, Rob. I don't know.
3: <laughs> I, yeah, that that didn't, mean, that didn't mean to come off as a <laughs> as a kind of uh, Haughty, I apologize. Uh, but That's, but honestly, I saw the
1: pitter, I saw the picture of you on Twitter with the middle finger up. So don't even
3: <laughs> Well, uh, there's a story
1: behind that. I well, But uh, we're here but, tell us all about it.
3: Well, as far as like well, when the crazy rumors uh first hit, the general outside of Arizona baseball zeitgeist so it was like, ha the Diamondbacks think they're people. Look at them. And so my response was just basically like, well, you,
1: we would never think of talking like that here yeah. on the podcast. And then, and
3: then when it, and then when it hit, they not only is like, Oh God, the Diamondbacks hit like their main free agent target, which was like, you know, an elite starting pitcher. It was like, ha you people have egg on your face. But, uh, I would say top three targets trade free agent. Um, Honestly, it's like... Like I said, is already there, and it was like a starting pitcher you could slide in at the top of the rotation. You know, Greinke, maybe if it was Cueto, if he had accepted the offer, that sort of thing. Uh, second would have been another starting pitcher, which they got Shelby Medler. Now, again, in the short term, that makes the rotation better. Now, the long term is like... Like I said, better do something within the next two or three years. Uh, third target... Probably a middle infielder, second baseman of some sort, if only maybe for depth or to replace Owing slash Hill slash whoever. But, again, I, th- I think if they don't go the rest of the offseason without getting anyone like that, I think they'll be fine. It would be sort of a luxury. Um Maybe a backup. Well, this is a fourth one, but I don't care. Haha. Uh, a fourth one would maybe be like a backup catcher who's more defensive-minded. They did trade for... I have to look him up again, Chris Herbin from the Twins, who might be better defensively, I don't know, but oh, like a backup catcher who's more defensive-minded, because Wellington Castillo is purely offense, you know, not great defensively, not a good pitch framer, but again, his offense, if he keeps it up to 2015 levels, is more than enough to sort of justify him as a main option there.
1: Okay, so those are the, maybe the top three or four that you'd like to see. I feel like I'm kind of hogging the conversation a little bit. I know Rob had some questions, too, surrounding the whole Granky trade, so I want to like kind of step back a little bit and let you guys kind of have it out.
2: Go yeah, for. let's go ahead and kind of talk about the uh, you know Granking signing a little bit. Um, first question for you, Was the Grinke, did Zach Granky sign because of the new uniforms? <laughs> it obviously didn't hurt. <laughs> um, but I think... The main
3: reason Zach Greinke side was that the Diamondbacks offered the most money, which was in itself a big surprise because for about the past 10 years or so, the Diamondbacks just did not do that because after the 2001 season, they got, you know, the World Series winning teams. A lot of those guys were, uh, were sort of signed with a lot of deferred money. And that deferred money had to be paid off one day, and that one day happened to be the years 2006 to 2014, or whatever. Like seriously, there was a running there was a running joke around Diveback circles that uh, like they're still paying they're still going to be paying Bernard Gilkey, who was barely on the 1999 team up until you know the heat death of the universe. <laughs> so so they sort of built that World Series winning team through that, and you know when Jerry Colangelo sold the team to the current ownership group, they sort of had to adopts some financial prudence that way. Um, so, you know, them signing a big free agent like that was really out of the blue. Um, now, I think he fits within the payroll as construction because, you know, a lot of, excuse me, you know, your other sort of core pieces like Goldschmidt, Pollock, Patrick Corbin are still young and fairly cost controlled. So that sort of makes sense that they could do that and it's worth taking the risk there. But that, that sort of signing just doesn't happen.
2: All right. Well, you kind of answered my next question about, um, you know, why ownership is kind of opening up its pockets now. Um, So I guess let's kind of shift gears a little bit more seriously here. Um, With the Diamondbacks not only taking Grinke from the Dodgers, um, but just kind of how we've seen that both the Dodgers and the Giants go about the offseason. Uh, so far, missing out on granke, missing out on David Price, and them kind of opting for guys like Hisashi Iwakuma Jeff Jeff Samarja. Um, how far do you think the balance of power has shifted in the NL West right now
3: it's hard to say because the Opsies is still young, and the Dodgers and Giants still have you know time to sort of do something uh, you know i don't like to like make predictions, but again, if you just go by everything. 2015 levels of what the Dimebacks have acquired, they should be right up there, if not, you know, the favorites in the LOS, at least like a wild card favorite. Again, this is a sort of assuming past performance equals future performance, which obviously it doesn't, but it's definitely made them closer to the Giants and the Dodgers at, at the very least than they were, say, a week ago. Um, and, you know, with enough good luck or good performances or whatever, it's really easy to see them winning the West. Will it happen? I don't know. I'm a fan of optimism.
1: Is this, is this really enough to topple the uh, even-year Giants? Because we're coming into 2016, <laughs> and they have a bit of a history with the, with the even years. So,
3: Yes, yeah. Um, maybe. Uh, it has to end someday, right? Theoretically. Uh, but, again, it sort of depends on what the Giants do. Uh, right now, the rotation is just Bumgarner, Samarja, and Shrug Emoji um true they they could be in on one of the free agent outfielders and that could help them um yeah it's sort of things are just kind of nebulous right now and like i said i don't quite trust the diamondbacks to perform to expectations sometimes i'm i i was sort of burned by that a few times in my life so uh but yeah the giants i don't know like it, it we have to see what they do the rest is rest of the uh offseason but it does feel like they're kind of trending downward too just from last year to what they've done so far this offseason but I could be wrong
1: so let's get back to the uh, kind of the big the big news then we didn't really fully uh, exhaust the Zach Granky signing and, and so forth we kind of touched on it a little bit uh, obviously that that's a move that is uh, that, that's a jump up from behind the couch and scream and scare you kind of thing I don't think anybody saw that coming they were the Diamondbacks were the mystery team in that if I'm not mistaken
3: they basically came in on the day of it swooped them up, if you believe what people were reporting. And you know, when when it was an, when you know Ken Rosenthal leaked a rumor that they were pursuing him, I was like, oh yeah, you know, probably not going to happen, but at least you tried, <laughs> right? And then you know, about an hour later, it kind of just you know everything exploded.
1: It was it was a strange thing. I, I want to say that because of what had gone on prior to that, with with the attempt to get Johnny Cueto, and uh, from all you know appearances, it looked like they lowballed him a little bit and weren't willing to pony up the money that he wanted. So I think that maybe set the the expectation. Look, if they're not willing to spend money to get Johnny Cueto, you know who's who's ranked maybe fourth or fifth on that list of free agent starting pitchers. Uh, I don't think anybody saw them coming up on top. You know, outbidding anybody. Zach Greinke. So I guess take me a little bit behind the scenes. Give me your speculations and theories. How is it that you screw up the Cueto signing and then succeed in getting Greinke?
3: I think the Cueto signing the years amounts was leaked by the Diabacks one way or the other too. You know, they offered it he said no. It was probably a low kind of a low-bally first offer but I think they sort of leaked it saying, hey other free agent pitchers we're kind of serious about this. eh?" And I guess, you know their internal evaluation-wise, they figured Granky was worth more than Cueto, and I would agree with that, as I'm sure you guys might or might not. I don't know. You live your own lives. Uh, but, but yeah, I think the Cueto thing was leaked just to sort of show to the outside baseball world that they were serious about Saying another starting pitcher, which everyone had every reason to be because starting pitching was basically the weak point of the team last year. And so... Them going for one of the elite starting pitchers only made sense, you know, for, but again, from what I kind of talked about before, that just wasn't something the dynamax did in the past, so it was easy just to sort of like dismiss it, but yeah, but I was surprised at the dollar amount, too, for Greggy, just from what they offered Cueto, but uh, it all worked out, maybe?
1: Well, I guess that remains to be seen, and you exactly. talk about whether or not Rob and I feel that that's, you know, who's worth more, Cueto or, or Greinke, and I'm kind of looking at that and going, well, who's the bigger risk? You got Johnny Cueto, who maybe has some health issues, some arm issues, possibly, maybe, under the surface that, that are going to leap up and, and take him by surprise, but then you've got Zach Granky in this contract that's going to pay him till he's like 56 years old, which is the bigger risk?
3: Well, obviously the key because it's uh, longer years for a pitcher on the wrong side of 30. But the team, for what it's worth, um, I have no idea if this will pan out. The team seems to think that the way he pitches will age well, which is obviously why they were willing to add on that sixth year, and like the Dodgers and Giants weren't, which was basically the difference in him signing with the Divex rather than anyone else. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely the more... I mean, obviously the more years, longer contract is the bigger risk, but... And it is a big risk, you know, after, you know, a certain amount of time. But, you know, all these big free agent sightings nowadays are, they're sort of done with the understanding. like, okay, within the first X years, we better win something because the last whatever years are going to suck.
1: <laughs> Just a, it raises an interesting question, uh, namely, how, how, how uh, long do you think the window is open? I
3: would definitely say 2016 and 2017 are now years, especially after, um, especially after you know just acquiring Shelby Miller. Uh, basically, at the, I'm checking to see how much how long Paul Goldschmidt signed through because then I'll tell, that'll, that'll give you my answer. Uh, He's signed through 2018, so that's the window.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I mean it's yeah one two three it's it's a it's a wide enough window i think and you got off to a great start with it um before we wrap this up rob did you have any other final questions for charlie i guess my my big question
2: here is uh you know which of the eight new diamondbacks uniforms are you going to spring for which one's your favorite
3: god um
2: (laughs) they're so interesting to me it's like they're like the oregon ducks of baseball now
3: i hope they play as well um, that's all I could say. Um, I don't know. Hmm, I would say probably one of the away uniforms because the, the darker gray is kind of a cool idea. The, all the, all the other uniforms are kind of like, eh, but at the same time I figure I'm going to be watching them, you know, m- m- more than half my weeknights, you know, coming this coming this summer. So, I'm going to get used to them. It'll be fine. Um, I'll, yeah, probably one of the away uniforms. Maybe the one without the weird, uh, the sort of tealy one without, but without the weird steak pattern on the shoulders. That's kind of weird. It, but like I said, uh, it's uh, it's definitely bold and different. They could have easily just done some like faux retro thing, which <laughs> which would have you know probably made baseball purists happy but it would have They're base it's it's different and that's actually the good thing that they tried something different it and you know they might sort of phase out some of the variations of the uniforms with uh, with tie because I don't think many people remember because but I vaguely do when the Dynamax were started uh, when they had their first uniform generation they had variants that had teal hats and white hats and like other stuff I there's pictures uh look it up if you don't believe me but <laughs> so and, but but those disappeared after a few years so well that yeah. was
2: the 90s and i just don't think we need to talk about any sort of 90s fashion trends that that
1: was a, that was a bad time for that hey you know what my pants are pegged even as we speak so i don't want to hear it oh, they're hammer pants at that so no what you're describing there all i'm envisioning is like a retiree on a golf course or something with a teal white thing
3: my dad, my dad owned, owned a teal. It was a teal Diamondbacks hat with the a, a logo with a purple bill, uh, and they wore them for like two games in 1998. I distinctly remember
2: this.
1: <laughs> that's that's bold. That is a bold fashion strategy right there. The question I think is, Rob, which of those uh, uniforms are you going to spring for? All eight, obviously. <laughs> right. I mean, because that'll. I mean, how awesome is it to walk around in either Washington, D.C. or in my case, you know, in West Michigan with a Diamondbacks uniform. People go, what the hell are you?
3: You'll stand out among the crowd.
1: I will get fewer comments than when I wear my Tigers, you know, jersey, especially if they're performing poorly because then people want to just talk. Then they want to like, you know, I don't know, buy you a beer and drown their sorrows with you. Do they
3: Do they sort of put your hat, their hand on your shoulder in that sort of like, I wa- I really need to talk to you about this <laughs> sort of way? <laughs>
1: No, I have last year in particular I, I would go anywhere in town to a bar to a gas station didn't matter if I had my Tigers, you know, jerseys or jerseys or whatever somebody would always say, you know, you know they suck this year. But yeah, thank you. I I didn't know. Really? I, I, I didn't was, know that. Couldn't smell it all the way from Detroit here in the <laughs> west side. <laughs> Alright, well Charlie, we want to thank you for stopping by uh, Charlie Gibo of azsnakepit.com, that's SB Nation's Arizona Diamondbacks blog Charlie, where else can uh, our listeners find your stuff online? Um,
3: my Twitter handle handle, handle <clears throat> English is hard uh, I'll blame it on uh, the shock of the Shelby Miller trade uh, My my Twitter handle is at clefo 8 Crime. that's uh, C-L-E-F-O 8 Crime. Uh, you could just look up Charlie Gibo. I'd explain the story behind that Twitter handle, but nah, it's basically No,
1: no, 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 no. we've got to explain. Clefo ain't a crime. Who, what is Clefo?
3: That 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 is kind of what was is my uh, sort of uh, username when I first joined, you know, espionage sites or whatever. I can't. I honestly don't remember the genesis of that name. It was just a bunch of letters that sounded cool <laughs> together. And then like they had this before it was a writer, you know, in like game threads and stuff. I. This, I guess this helped me become a writer there. I would do this thing where I would just sort of like when something amazing or like weird or something bad happened to Troy Tulowitzki specifically, I would just type these random like all capped rants that just got into weird surreal stuff. Cause I don't know, I was in my early twenties then. It's it's a weird time, but but that just sort of became known as cleffoing. And then like someone was like, hey, stop that. And then someone was like, Nick Clefou ain't a crime. Now that doesn't fit as a uh, as a Twitter handle, but take out the ing and it does.
1: But uh, yeah. Um, so there it is on Twitter at Clefo ain't a crime. Correct. Okay. <laughs> Anywhere else we can find you? Um, I
3: live in Central
1: Tucson, Arizona.
3: So if you see me on the street, you can say hi. Um, I I don't know I. That's basically for baseball stuff. That's basically my uh, general best place to find me for stuff because like my other social media accounts are just basically job or random thought related. So.
1: All right. And you're obviously, you said you mentioned that you're on the uh, Diamondbacks podcast too. What's that called?
3: Uh, we, it's called Infield Chatter. We're uh, on hiatus now because it's the offseason and we all, and the three of us who host it, myself, Devin Jessup and Timothy Jeffcoat, who are also writers for the Steak Pit. Uh, we have better things to do during the winter, mostly. Um it's harsh. I, that's harsh, man. That's a, that's a lie. That's, that's a lie. We don't. We're just, harsh. That, we're just lazy. But, um, yeah, uh, it's called Infield Chatter. Um, not on iTunes, because someone who may or may not be listening to this when I post it later should have been should have done that by now. But um,
1: You know who you are. Yes.
3: But uh, you can find it uh, if you just go to AZ State Pit, look up Infield Chatter. There's a whole... S- you know, one of those uh, supergroups for that. You can look up episodes. It's sort of a less, I would say, statistically analysis and more weird stuff slash random tagets about Arby's related.
1: Okay. I mean, we're all about the Arby's related podcasts around here. So that's uh, Charlie Jibo from azsnakepick.com. Also on Twitter at Crime. Charlie, best of luck with the Diamondbacks until they get to the World Series and face the Tigers. Then, man, screw you. Screw you as well. Thanks for having (laughs) me on. We'll talk to you later. (laughs) All right, thanks. Bye. And that will be all she wrote for this episode of The Voice of the Turtle. Rob, any comments for the post-game presser?
2: Nope, still just trying to uh, get in touch with my inner tiger's way.
1: (laughs) Well, you'll find it, and when you do, I want to hear all about it. I want to see pictures on Twitter of the inner way that you've discovered. Maybe I don't. Okay. Hey, remember, we are only one half of this conversation. You're the other half. Leave your comments for us at the website at blushyboys.com. You can find us on Twitter at HookslideBYB and at Rob, Or send us an email at bybtigers at gmail.com. So on behalf of Rob Rojacki and bleary-eyed late-working general managers everywhere, this is Hookslide reminding you there's only 70 days until pitchers and catchers report. So go ahead and hit the snooze button a few more times. And we'll see you next time on The Voice of the Turtle.